Welcome to Bad Puns and Machine Guns, the podcast where we watch and discuss every Arnold Schwarzenegger movie one at a time, and maybe the occasional surprise as well. I'm Kevin Keane. And I'm Mike Olson, and today we'll be discussing Terminator 2, Judgment Day, released by TriStar Pictures on July 3rd, 1991, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Linda Hamilton, Robert Patrick, Joe Morton, Earl Bowen, S. Epatha Merkerson, Danny Cooksey, Castulu Guerrera, and introducing Edward Furlong, written by James Cameron and William Wisher, directed by James Cameron. The crown jewel. Yeah, w- without a doubt. There is no apology needed for this one. Yeah, I, I said last episode, I haven't seen it in a couple of years, and it holds up great. I, you know, I was going to suggest we just get this conversation out of the way, because it's going to come up all the time. Let's just do it right now. Pick a side, the Terminator or Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Oh, between the two? Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, that's an excellent choice. I guess first I'll, I'll ask uh, the audience at Bad Puns Podcast on Twitter what their thoughts are, Terminator or Terminator 2. For me, after watching both, and it had been a while for both of them, I, I still think I lean on T2. Okay, because I'm going to go with The Terminator. Wow. I think I like The Terminator a little better. Wow, I'm surprised. They're, they're both great movies, but having watched The Terminator, what, six, seven months ago, whenever, yep. whenever that was, I forgot how great that movie is, and I think it's made, it's, it's just so, we talked about it on that episode, it's just so such a clean through line of, it's just a very simple story, and it sets up all the players, and then it knocks them all down, whereas Terminator 2, I think, is not quite as clean. Still, I, still great. Yeah, I would certainly agree with you that it's not as clean, but I, I think that this, what I would say, is a, a better action movie, and it's not just because of the effects. Having gone back and watched The Terminator again and listened to our episode on it again, uh, getting ready to do this, I just I, I feel more and more like that's not it's not a straight action movie. And no, The Terminator is really not an action movie. Yeah, yeah. and so I, I I think that I, I think that's the reason why I'm leaning towards T two is just, now I'm actually wondering and I need to watch Die Hard here soon. Uh, I have put for a long time Die Hard is the greatest action movie of all time. This is going to supplant it? I don't know if it's going to supplant it, but I need to watch them close together because T2 is, is a great action movie. It's right there in, in the team photo of, the to me, the greatest action movies of all time. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're looking for action, you can't do much better than Terminator 2. I mean, no. it's, so I agree with you there. It's, if, if you want a, an action movie, this is uh, unquestionably has more, is more action-packed than right. Terminator. Yeah, and I, certainly that has to do with budget. Uh, and I'm not knocking either one, but uh, I guess I'm I'm glad that we don't agree on this. Uh, we tend to agree on too many things when I listen to some of these episodes. I'm glad we don't agree on this. No, I, I think it's a, probably a mild disagreement in terms of like, it's, I think it's pretty obvious both of us think both movies are really great. Yeah. It's just a question of what are you looking for? And, you know, I, I totally see where you're coming from when you're saying it's more action-packed, and there's no question that it's more action-packed than The Terminator. Yeah. So, And yeah. I also think, you know... I, we had discussed that this being a sequel, and at the time the only sequel that James Cameron had made to one of his own movies, that um, you know was just somewhat of a rehash. I don't feel that way as much having now watched both of them beginning to end and taking detailed notes on them. I, I, I'm not saying there's not a lot of similarities, but I don't feel as much as this is a total rehash of, of The Terminator. The first half is, it sets itself up to create that expectation, and then it takes a right turn. Right. Having seen The Terminator recently, it's almost like, you know, part of me kind of wanted the same thing again, and to credit to James Cameron to not do that, and maybe that's my fault for having that expectation. Like, you know, 
we should be celebrating sequels that go in a different direction and that do something new and not, aren't just rehashing the first movie. And there's no question that that's what this is. Like, yeah. it's, it's not interested in doing the same thing again. Yeah, and, and that's the other thing, too, is that it, it, it did hold up for me. Um, a lot of the things we've been doing re- this season, particularly recent episodes, are things that haven't lived up to our memories. Yeah, it's been a rough stretch. Yeah, in terms of uh, my memory of, and I don't remember, maybe we discussed this on the Terminator episode, um, of when, pe- yeah, I think it was, people ask me, has there ever been a sequel that you think is you know, better than the original? Here's the thing, is this, this has, to me, this, this may be the greatest sequel of all time. Oh, it's in the running, for sure. I mean, even though I think The Terminator is a little bit better. Sure. Uh, I mean, there are very few sequels that are better than the original, and I mean, I totally would get why you would say that this, but even, even not, it's still one of the greatest sequels. Even I think it's one of the greatest yeah, sequels. I, I don't think it's quite as good, but it's still. Even if it doesn't surpass it, that's... That's right. the um, interesting note on this is that it it even if it's if you don't think or you prefer the Terminator, it's so close, and most of the time sequels don't go anywhere near close, and it it calls back enough to the original in terms of lines and dialogue and somewhat of the story, but also has all of its own elements that stand on its own. And when it does call back, it does it in a natural way. It doesn't feel forced, forced or shoehorned in. It doesn't feel yeah. like fan service. It does it really well. Like that's the one thing I was most impressed. You know, is just the way that it weaves in. The little Terminator, like, yeah. you know, references. Phrases and references, absolutely. It's funny, I'm thinking about this now, because I'm someone who, because uh, I'm a big fan of all the Aliens movies, I don't think you're, my impression is, or I, maybe yeah, you are, I don't know. I've seen them, I'm not, it's not one that I, a series that I dislike, but no, it's not one that's up that I watch over and over again. Okay, but, uh, like, I'm, I've always been in the Aliens camp of, and, and that's a James Cameron sequel, not a sequel to one of his own movies, but right. Aliens is a very different sequel to the original. It's James Cameron taking, it's, he's doing the same thing in T2 as he did in Aliens, is let's take this and go in a different direction. And a lot of people were disappointed by Aliens. So a lot of people prefer Alien and didn't like the fact that he took it in that action-packed direction. It's a really, it's a weirdly similar situation and now i'm questioning why do i like the terminator better but yet i <laughs> like, like aliens alien. better and it's it's almost the exact same situation so maybe maybe is, when we as we talk through it i'll change my mind we'll see we'll i'm see. right i'm right on the fence like i think the terminator 2 the terminator is a tiny bit better yeah and i i could be swayed i would give you too that i don't feel that despite the fact i prefer t2 i don't think it's a landslide runaway victory right and that i would never not watch the terminator again or recommend it. it's not anything like that so I, you're splitting hairs. It's it's probably too close to call. Yeah, you're right. It, it, we're, it's definitely splitting hairs. Like we love both of these movies. Yep. Uh, before we get in too far, uh, just take care of a little bit of housekeeping because this is the first episode we're recording since we uh, started being featured on actionagogo.com. That is correct. I should say that again, actionagogo.com, because I, I flubbed it. Uh, so yeah, uh, our podcast is now featured on that website, and if you're finding us from there, you know, welcome. Feel free to check out our back catalog since yes. uh, we've been only up on there for. About a month now. About a month with uh, the first episode being Kindergarten Cop that posted uh, through there. Uh, no, I think, Hercules in New York, I'm yes, sorry. Yes, Hercules in New York went so uh, two. Yeah, and it's a cool website, and we're really excited to be a part of it. So I just wanted to acknowledge that uh, you know, we're on there now. So I mean, we have some new new folks uh, listening in from there. That you know, and, and if you're joining us from other means or you're one of our regular listeners, you know, go check out actionagogo.com. It's a cool website. Yeah. They've got other podcasts on there. Podcasts uh, on a lot of uh, action and comic-related material. Yeah, and just just you know features. The one thing I did like uh, this is a feature I'm going to be reading every week is they've got. Uh, I was talking about in the Terminator episode actually, uh, synthwave. It's the music. Yeah, I was saying it's like tech noir. Yeah, tech noir. It's it's very inspired by '80s soundtracks and things like that. So they've got a weekly feature saying like here are the top synthwave 
uh, oh. on action.gogo.com. And it's, it's awesome. I'm like, oh, this is really helpful because I like Synthwave. I don't know enough about it. And this is a good way for like me to find new music. So that's a feature I really love. So it's a cool site. So definitely, definitely check it out. We're, we're happy to be there. Yeah, uh, definitely agree. Okay, so back to, to, uh, to what movie we're talking about? Terminator uh, 2. Terminator 2. <laughs> It's it's apparently a forgettable movie. Uh, I just my brain is not functioning today, so I hope it doesn't continue because this may be a rough, <laughs> rough podcast. For me. I don't know why. I'm just uh, I cannot think right now. So uh, okay, so which uh, we should we never talked about the versions of this movie. Thank and, you. That was the other housekeeping that I had. So yeah. I don't know how you approached it. I approached it. Well, I first I had a technical issue. It had been a long time since I watched my DVD copy of it. I put it in my dvd player and apparently the disc cracked somehow in it so that's no good yeah so i had to go back to the library i'm i'm really using utilizing uh our local library here the machines are already rising yes apparently so uh skynet was looking for me didn't didn't want me to get the source material and uh so i wound up taking whatever the most recent dvd version of it is and so i noticed that it was the um uh, not the theatrical version but the extreme, or you know, whatever the DVD was, the long cut has like four different names. It's, it's, sometimes it's called the director's cut, sometimes it's called the extended cut. Uh, there's some other thing. It's just, you know, but the longer cut, the extended S- cut. So I watched the longer extended cut, and here's what I wound up doing. And this this speaks to, despite having not seen this movie in its entirety for years, I tested myself. I w- went through, watched it, and I put on every scene that I was fairly certain was not in the theatrical cut. Okay. I put an asterisk by, and then subsequent to watching it, taking all my notes, went, found what the DVD cheat was to get back to the theatrical version, went back and reviewed. I got them all right. I was very, really? very impressed. Yes. Wow, that's, that's impressive. Because, yeah. so, so this movie, I mean, this really had an influence in me that I have not forgotten the theatrical cut from, from 1991. Yeah, I basically did the same thing, only I didn't quiz myself. Like I, I would go like... I, w- I would be watching it and be like, wait, is this in the theatrical cut? And cause, yeah, I watched the extended cut and then I, I would just pause and look it up on the internet. Okay, which, cut, which scenes yeah. are new? Or there are some like, s- sort of subtle changes too, like, like individual lines of dialogue were changed and things like that, Ooh, which, that, which would be tough to catch. Yeah, that I probably did not catch. The ones that I got were, I don't think this scene is in there. And some of them are very long and very obvious, but then there were a couple, particularly at the end, that I wasn't sure if they weren't in there, and then when I went back, I felt very good. I'm like, yeah, I was pretty sure that those were not in there. And most of the time when there were dialogue changed, it was to bridge a gap. Like, because oh, there's, was cut. There, there's been a scene removed here, so here's a line of dialogue to kind of cover it up. Like, it was ADR line. Gotcha. Uh, stuff like that. So, so, it, yeah, so let, let, me, let me ask you this, um, and maybe even ask uh, listeners if they're uh, tweeting with us at, at Bad Puns Podcast. Do you think that there are any of the cut material was a bad cut? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'll end up talking about individual scenes as we go through, yeah. but general, just off the top of your head, off the top of my head, I think most of the scenes, the individual scenes are interesting in and of themselves, but I do think the movie is too long. The extended cut is too long. Like, I think it was good just for the sake of pacing. Like n- none of those scenes, uh, well, I shouldn't say none of them, but I mean, they don't. They added more by being removed because it just made the pace so much faster. And yeah. like the theatrical cut is two hours and twelve minutes, something like that. Yes, but it feels real fast. It feels like it's flying along. Whereas I think the extended cut, I, I don't want to say drag. It's not that bad, but it doesn't. Feel, it doesn't have the pace that the theatrical cut. Yeah, has. It, it's a much bigger departure from how fast paced the Terminator is, right. without a doubt. And even just the theatrical cut, 
But when you get to the extended, significantly different in terms of pacing, I agree with you. And I actually think most of the stuff, at least for me, that wound up on the cutting room floor, other than the way that some of them, how how the transitions do seem kind of stark when you know that there was more there. Yeah. I, I think it was addition by subtraction. Most of the stuff I, I actually agree with leaving it on the cutting room floor. I do miss the scene where he gets taught how to smile. I have to. I have to. So if you had to corner me for one that I'm disappointed, it, it, it is that because it is well acted and That's fantastic. So, it's really good. Like that should have been left. It's only like a 45 second scene. Yeah. I, I think in. it's because there's so much else that gets you to that is the reason that they did it. But it's still it is still disappointing because it's really good. Yeah. And getting back to your broken uh, DVD, it's funny because I completely lost my Terminator 2 Blu-ray. I could not find it, and wow. I had to I had to rent it on Amazon. And then I I subsequently just bought it again. So <laughs> uh, that's how many I've now paid for. I I've bought the Blu-ray twice, and I've also paid for one rental just because I wanted, I couldn't wait for the Blu-ray. I had to watch it. So so those royalties, uh, if Arnold or any of his people ever listen to these, the royalties keep coming in from us. <laughs> I think they're doing okay without us, also. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> something yeah, tells me they are. I did our we yeah, we both did our part for sure. Yeah, because my replacement uh, is on its way. Mm-hmm. So. So let's uh, let's dive into T two Judgment Day. Yep. So uh, yeah, opening. Uh, it's interesting. The first shot, it's just traffic, and it just yeah. cuts into. I guess it's just a show like Civilization to contrast with when, when they cut to the apocalypse the future, or whatever. Right. It just seems strange that that's this is what he's deciding the opening shot is. It's not like a Terminator. It's not anything. It's just it's just traffic. Yeah, and that's not what I remembered either. Yeah, it, it is a it's kind of a strange opening. Because uh, then you go from that to the playground, which is obviously like a big thematic thing that carries through the movie. Yes, you'd think like like my memory was it starts with that with the playground with the kids playing in the playground. It's the same here, and maybe it's because you know that thematically, as you said, it, it comes up so many times that that's probably why that's what I I remember it opening with too. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, but brief out of the playground, then we cut to the post apocalypse. Just to you know, it's the same playground presumably. Yes. But now everything's destroyed, and, and there's skulls everywhere. Yeah. Just like the first Terminator, it's just. Right. Uh, the machines still don't want to clean up this mess. No. The, <laughs> as I went back and re-listened to that, the, the Wally, despite the fact from uh, the mid '80s to 1991, they they hadn't figured out uh, how to how to get that robot to go around and start cleaning things up. No, I guess that's just not a priority. Yes, yeah, so we get this narration from Sarah Connor. We get this opening narration, and then we go for like an hour and a half without any narration, and then yeah. it comes back in like. It's certainly not Goodfellas, where it's uh, prevalent throughout. No, I, I wonder. I mean, it's just to get get. You know, audiences caught up. The first movie had a text thing saying the machines, you know, whatever. Right. Uh, I guess that had just fallen out of style by 1991. They couldn't do a text. I miss those. Movies should do that more often. It's because you're a huge Star Wars fan. That's why. No, but not just Star Wars. The the Running Man did it. Or just like a text. text. Like, here's here's an explanation. Here's the setup. Yeah. Movies used to do that all the time. I think it's kind of more of an 80s thing. Yeah. But I miss miss it. Maybe that'll start coming back. I hope so. I mean, you would think there'd be some, you know. Renaissance? Like some Pacific Rim or something. I could see that that movie doing. Yeah. A movie like that, you'd think it would have come back. All kind of 80s stuff is back. There's a Netflix show. It's super 80s. Yeah, I've actually just started watching it. Stranger Things. I've not. Yeah, I've started watching. I've heard good things. Um, yeah, just stuff like that. I want it to come back. Um, yeah. So, but Sarah here, she dates the Judgment Day for the first time. We didn't get it in the first movie. Nope. Yeah, August twenty ninth, nineteen ninety seven. Nineteen ninety seven. The far flung future, nineteen ninety seven. Yeah. <laughs> Six years, and uh, as we're recording this, we're we're here not too far from twenty ninth of twenty sixteen. So maybe we should have tried to 
record this uh, a year from now so that we would have been... Uh, the 19th anniversary of Judgment Day? Is exactly. That, am I uh, doing the math right? Yes, it would be the 19th. And then if we could do it next year, the 20th anniversary of Judgment Day. <laughs> we'll have to remember to, to celebrate the 20th anniversary <laughs> of Judgment Day. Yeah, so this, I mean, this is where... I know we talked about it in the first Terminator, how I was expecting this moment... Like I got the two openings yeah. mixed up. Like well, here's here's the iconic moment: the Terminator steps in the skull and it pans up, and there's the big chrome Terminator I, wreaking havoc. Yeah, and uh, the same thing for me. This movie clearly was the movie that had dominated my memory from the Terminator series because that's exactly what I remember. Yeah, I mean it's iconic. Like, it, it is kind of strange that I had forgotten that like it's so like quiet and it's just like. No, nothing is moving, and then this robot steps on the skull, and then all hell breaks loose. Yes. It's like it almost made me think: like, is that the signal to attack? Like, when I step on this skull, <laughs> you all come and attack. Uh, when I step on skull, unleash hell. Right. If skull equals crushed, <laughs> the if-then statement right, for exactly. the T800s. I guess we're just seeing the moment where the the battle began, or whatever. But yeah. uh, I'm really impressed how much Terminator Two matches the look of the first Terminator with this stuff. It looks exactly the same. That, yeah, that's a good observation. I mean, you know, special effects had changed. Like, it, there are some shots that kind of look, I don't know if it's intentional or if it was just my imagination, but like a little too modely in a way that kind of looks like the original. Like, you can kind of tell it's a model. Yeah. But it looks like the first movie. You know, the only thing that's, that, look, that are different are, you know, you're seeing actual Terminators, which you didn't in the first movie. And it's this movie has a different aspect ratio, but otherwise, if you were to put the, the footage side by the, side, I'm not future, sure. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd be able to tell which shots are from which movie. I mean, they did a great job matching it. Yeah, no, I hadn't made that observation, but kind of talking it through, you're right, and that's, uh, you know, I guess you could. Some people might criticize and say, "Well, you should advance things and use the technology that's available," but no, I I think that the no. the way it looks, you it should feel like reality, and that's the reality that was established in the first movie and that's how it should feel in the sequel. No, I'm glad they didn't. I'm, I mean, it creates a really great continuity where it really does feel like a con continuation from the first movie. It's like, here are things we didn't see, but they're really, other than the Terminators kind of, you kind of see them walking a little bit. There's that one that's kind of on the ground, like helpless. Yeah. <laughs> the guy just shoots, comes up and shoots in the head. There's stuff like that that they wouldn't have done in the first movie because they were saving the reveal of the Terminator. Right. But other, you know, otherwise, you know, I can totally believe every one of these effects. Like, it doesn't seem like any of this is CGI. Like, they're, no. they're, they're making it match. Yeah. And um, one in particular, what I, and I'm sure it was probably done, I, I don't know if it's an anticipation of 3D, but I do love that the one, you know, turns towards the one, the one Terminator, I think it's firing two weapons at once. Yeah, yeah. Turns toward the screen. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, if, if a robot could mug to the camera, this robot is doing it. Yes. I, I, so, I, I mean. I, yeah, the, I agree. The, you're right, the opening matches really well, but I think it's it's also a great opening just action sequence because you've got, you know, both sides doing some damage and that it doesn't seem that it's one-sided, so it seems, you know, believable that the humans, you know, would be able to actually survive and send Kyle Reese back, all of that stuff. I think it does a great job matching it and feeling believable. Yeah. But also, you know, having that moment, and that's probably what I remember from seeing it in theaters, is that first Terminator with, like, the face and the two guns firing at the screen. I, I, I remember that. It's iconic. Yeah. I mean, there's no question about it. It's one of the greatest images in movie history, like, mm. or at least one of the most memorable, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, this action sequence goes on, and some, some people are dying here. I was going to say, yeah, you need to get them, because uh, there, there's, there's a few. There's not a ton in this movie, no, actually. Not, I mean, like, so you can't miss these. Almost half of them are in this, this opening sequence. Yeah. So in the interest of being in the Terminator 2 spirit, I'm doing the body count slightly differently. So uh -oh. instead of body count, 
Human casualties, uh, 5.0. I was going to ask if you were going to go at the decimal point. Yes, we're doing the decimal point. Fantastic. Uh, if you want to talk about probably the second most memorable sequence and scene for me from when I saw this movie in theaters, it absolutely is that scene. And yes, it is absolutely human casualties, 0.0. 0. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's just a funny little detail that yeah. most people remember. So yeah, we'll be doing our, our casualties and decimals. I don't have any. De- I don't have any point fives or anything, so I mean, it's not really going to matter. <laughs> but just for fun. But yeah, we meet John Connor, adult John Connor, adult John Connor. And so I'm sorry, how many did you have there? Five. Yeah. Okay. So I got three, and then when the truck flips, I think uh, I had two from yes, there. Yes, that's so. exactly. Okay. I was. I, part of me wondered, like maybe that was that was Reese in that truck because it's very similar to the scene in the first I, movie where his, his truck flips. And I also do remember um, from re- re-listening our episode how you said, yeah, Kyle Reese just says, get out of the way. I'm Kyle Reese. I'm driving this truck. Yeah, I don't think that happens here, so it's probably a different guy. But yeah. for me, it's, like, it's, it's a very similar moment where yeah. the truck flips and, you know. So I, I wasn't 100% sure if we should count both of those guys, but I counted them. Uh, I, I would definitely count both of them. Yeah. And did. And, uh, yeah, so we get adult John Connor, and yeah, we're, we're then moving to the credits, which the credit sequence, too. I, you know, I, I know that uh, I, I think on Terminator you loved kind of how kind of clean and 80s it was. But, you know, this is a little bit different, but I definitely remember these credits, and I think these credits are, are really well done as well. They're a lot more bombastic than the yeah. first movie. You know, no, and that, the steel slamming shut and all that Yeah, and you have the big fireball, and, I mean, that, to me... It further reinforces that this this is an action movie. Yeah. I mean, from the absolute opening credit, from the pre credits to the credits themselves. I mean, there is, everything says that this is an action movie. Yeah, this is going to be a bigger movie than the yes. first one for sure. Absolutely. Well, speaking of that, and speaking of like raising the stakes in the narration, Sarah just offhandedly mentions the machines they sent back two Terminators to kill two Terminators, one to kill me before John was born, one to kill John. This movie really just does gloss over the fact. Like she says that as if it's something we've always known, whereas this obviously the second Terminator is news. It's a new thing that we didn't know the machines did. You know, it's not like Kyle went back to 1984 and told Sarah, "Hey, they also sent a machine to 1990." Well, 19, it's unclear what year this movie is set. Yeah. Uh, but possibly, let's let's say 1995. Because well, isn't isn't John supposed to be? I think 10 years old. He's in ten, this? 10 years old, yeah. and he had to be born in 85. So. Yeah. Uh, actually, I think we got his birthday somewhere. I wrote it down. I yeah, I think I, when uh, it's um, the T one thousand looks it up yeah, on, yeah. Uh, on the police. Um, but anyway, uh, what was I talking about? <laughs> I forgot what my point was. Uh, Sarah, oh, they it, sent two machines back. Right. So as if she says that, as if she, I mean, I guess she's saying it after the fact. So she, this is her narration from after everything has happened. But uh, th- I mean, that's what I take it as is that this narration at the beginning is really the summation from the end. Yeah, it just seems, I mean, I guess this movie isn't really interested in explaining where this other Terminator came from, but it's it's just, I kind of wish there's a tiny bit more information. Because it's like, the first movie makes it sound like sending that Terminator back to 1984 was the last ditch, this is the machine's absolute last chance. And now it's just like, well, they sent one more back. It's like, when did they do that? Afterwards? Before that? I don't really know. I mean, it's not really that important, but I'm just, I'm surprised they don't give a little more context. I, I can understand that. I guess the way that I've always interpreted this is that the even though there may be just small changes in the overall timeline from Kyle Reese going back and the original Terminator, what I took is that those small changes then impact the future in some way, and that in that some way then there's a new opportunity for effectively the T one thousand, and then oh, so in this reality, there nobody was sent back to nineteen eighty four, or like 
something something like that. Is that what it, you're saying? It was. What I'm saying is, I, I, the way I took what what you're saying is that the the 1984 was, I guess, mutually exclusive, or it was the T1000 was sent at the same time. I never in, interpreted it as they were sent at the same time. I I always took it as one event happened, timeline plays out, and then whatever small changes there were from the the original Terminator. That allowed within the timeline for the T one thousand to get sent back. So you're saying, I guess they're saying that this replaced the original yes. event. Like instead of in this timeline, instead of sending you know the T eight hundred back to nineteen eighty four, they're doing this. Right. Okay. Whether or not that again with time travel, it's extremely difficult to well, be consistent. But yeah, that's the thing about this movie is that the first movie, the time travel was very like consistent with itself, and it was just a causality loop or. The whole thing looped back around on itself, whereas this movie is saying the future can be changed and all that. It kind of, you know, I mean, the, this series goes crazy bonkers as it goes on. Like, by the time oh. it gets to Terminator Genesis, it's just like, there's nine different timelines. And blah, 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 blah. It's <laughs> just, you know, that's what the movie, that's what this series becomes later. So, so it, maybe it this of, was planting the seeds for that and it's just grown on itself. Well, or? Maybe, maybe that's why I'm maybe judging this movie a little harshly in terms of like, I can see how it began the slide into it's still a great movie but it it set the precedent so that later crappier terminators terminator movies could take that and go crazy with it i that, mean we i know we both have a soft spot for genesis but it's it goes so crazy in that direction of just it does a million timelines Look, et cetera. I, I i can i i think that's a fair criticism that this is beginning planting the seeds for things to get out of control so i can see where you might knock it knock it a bit well it's like i was saying how it's not as clean like it's just little things like this it's just like well, I, you know i mean it's 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 a good enough movie that you forget about these things yeah. but that know. is the one thing is that because i think it's so well crafted that most of this stuff you're willing to just overlook where in other movies we've <laughs> we've kind of let those things either snowball or just jump out and that we wind up disliking the movie well, it, but it's the nature of this podcast that we're really scrutinizing these movies. And but I, I don't think the Terminator had these any, any real loose ends. Like maybe one or two we pointed out. Yeah. But, I mean that movie is so internally consistent. It's clean without a doubt. And this one has a few loose ends, ends and that's just you know one of those little things. It's like where did this T one thousand come from? Why didn't they just send the T one thousand back to nineteen eighty four? But whatever. It's just the premise of the movie. You know, I'm I'm relatively okay with it. Fair enough. It's just one of those things. Sorry, I'm not gonna be. Just, I'm not gonna be critical. I'm just. You know, I'm not trying to win a court case against you and trying to prove that <laughs> the Terminator is better. I, I got to stop doing that. So uh, we then move to after the the fireball and the the credits, which I'm every time I watch it, I'm I'm ready for the action to begin, and it it picks up as about as perfectly as you can. I mean, it's a great callback to the original Terminator, and you know, for for me, it, I've always I've always kind of looked at these that. Because Arnold, you know, really became a huge action movie star after the Terminator and was really a hero, you know, obviously in the Terminator he wasn't. Yeah. But so this one does a great job of sending him back, both him and then the T-1000, of not immediately making it clear who's the hero. I mean, I, we, we all know. Mm, I mean, tonally, it, 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 it's <laughs> very different from the first movie. Like, it's very clear in the first movie he's not a good, good guy. <laughs> it was here. To- all right, tonally, you're right. But I, they play it for laughs. You know? Yes. Like this whole opening scene, they're playing for laughs. That's, yes. that's a pretty big clue. I mean, in terms of the plot, you're right. They haven't revealed anything. But, you know, in terms of the way they're, they're portraying Arnold here, I, I feel like they're tipping their hand pretty, well, pretty much. I, I'm not going to say they don't tip their hand, but maybe it's with the T-1000. I, I feel like that they, they don't show you anything 
to indicate that that he's killed that you know that cop that I think you can go into it if you don't know anything about the series or Arnold. I think you can go into it and not know a hundred percent which which is the machine that's sent back to protect. I think you would be right if they didn't play bad to the bone. That's the thing that's going like, okay, they're just deflating the Terminator. You're probably you know? right, and that's this will be one of the things that I, I still think it's it's a great scene, so I'm willing to look past the fact that it does probably diminish my yeah. argument that it, the movie does a pretty good job of not definitively saying who's the hero here. Well, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy the bad-to-the-bone moment if you just accept the fact that this movie is not trying to hide the fact that he's the hero basically yeah. i mean i'm sure all the i don't remember trailers and commercials and all that but I, I i seem to remember that it was pretty clear from all that stuff that arnold was the good terminator and he was fighting a bad terminator yeah. I, think, I think everyone knew that going into the movie going into the movie i think they did i i'm saying if you now watch it you know 20 some years later uh 25 years later like my nieces and nephews again they, they probably know it but i think that if you were in a in a vacuum I think it does an adequate job. Other than you're right, they play it up for laughs. I'm still willing to to look past it because I, I do think it I, the comedy works. And no, it's fun. Yeah, and there, and it, that it, can easily not work. And I think it works here. It's a fun. I I, I like Bed to the Bone. I just think it comes at the expense of not. You know, I, I think it would have been interesting if they had tried to hide it yeah, a but, little more. I don't think they're trying to hide the fact that Arnold is the good Terminator here. So I guess what I would say is that up until that, I think that I would make the argument that it does a good job. Now, granted, you know, they're kind of rough and tumble bikers that he's fighting with. Yeah, I mean, he does stab a guy in a shoulder and yeah. throw, throw a guy in a, in a stove and all that stuff. Like Throws a guy through a window. Yeah. So up until you're, you're right, until he actually has the clothes, the boots uh, on, and he's going to get on the motorcycle. If they would have just cut there, I think it would be pretty balanced. Yeah, I agree. It's not 100%. You know who's the good Terminator and who's the bad one? No, I agree with you there. I think it's 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 that one choice of music. I I I don't think it's necessarily the wrong decision. I mean, it's just it was the choice they made. The choice yeah. Jim, Jim Cameron made. It just like he was okay deflating the Terminator a little bit for a gag, but I think it does tip the movie's hand. I think it. But would you at least say because I, I know on Last Action Hero you love his his intro. No, it's great. It's I just great have him. I just, yeah, I just have in my notes that I didn't need to take any notes. I mean, honestly, <laughs> you don't. It is a, it is a fantastic opening. It is a great for your scene. hero in an action movie. No, I, there's no question about that. I mean, I, at no point was I ever saying it was a bad scene. It's just you know, I don't entirely agree with you that it's it it doesn't tip its hand. It's it's even. Like, it, but it's not it's not the scene in the bar that is the issue. It's, no, it's, it's when it's he the exits. Music. That's fair. That's uh, fair. It's interesting how this movie is just getting everything done so much faster he gets clothes he gets a weapon he gets a vehicle all in one scene yeah he has two weapons and sunglasses yes all in one shot <laughs> the last movie he was like for like four scenes here's where he got his car here's where he got the guns it's like yeah so we you know we had that kyle reese had his day off but the terminator was really efficient this terminator is even more efficient maybe it's just luck that he wound up in the right place at the right time to get all that stuff but yeah, well, in this case, uh, the T-1000 is basically his own weapon, so he doesn't yeah. really have to worry about yeah, that. Yeah, maybe that's the reason why they had to make it a little fairer that he, he the T-800 gets all of his stuff at, at one stop, because effectively the T-1000 has everything immediately as soon as he gets there. This movie has so much to cover. I mean, it's a longer movie than yeah. the Terminator, so it's just, it's just getting through it as fast as possible. So after um, Arnold takes off, the T-800 takes off on the motorcycle, we get the uh, you know, second electrical disturbance, and the T-1000 is introduced. Robert Patrick. Yeah, Robert Patrick's great in this movie. Like, 
I think he doesn't get enough credit. No, and that's what I was going to ask you, um, and maybe our listeners at Bad Pun Bad Puns Podcast, I cannot get it out. You know, is is Robert Patrick in this? Could you see anybody else playing the T-1000? I mean, I'm sure other people could have done it, but I can't imagine... They could equal it, but I can't imagine anyone topping it. Yeah, I mean... He does such a great job. I, I, I think I feel the same way, is that it's hard to know, you know, if they cast somebody else. And again, he doesn't say a lot, but it's not certainly one where you would say, ooh, I, I think that this could have been a lot better with such and such, or, you know, this was a weak part of the movie, especially for a relative unknown. Yeah. I know, I, I think he was in Die Hard 2, and I'm not sure if he was in anything else. Was he in the Double Dragon movie before or after this? I can't remember ooh. when that movie was. I don't remember <laughs> I think when that, that movie was. that may have been before this. Okay, well, he didn't have an extensive <laughs> filmography, and this, you know, this is obviously an important role. Again, not a ton of dialogue, but you've got to pull it off, just like Arnold had to pull off the you know the the T800 and the original terminator. Yeah, I mean both both are more difficult than I think people I think give credit for cuz like, you know, I think people would assume, oh, you're playing a robot, you just keep a blank face and you just look, yeah. look tough. Like, no, there's a lot more to it in in both instances. I mean, Arnold in this movie has an arc, which is, you yeah. know, and he I mean, he, he's great in this movie too. Uh but just the the fact that Robert Patrick, I'm sure the temptation could have been to just copy what Arnold was doing or do it something Oh, he's a Terminator. Terminator's are like this. Like, no, he's doing something totally different. He and he still seems like a machine, but a totally different kind of machine. And it fits with the whole liquid thing. Like, his performance is liquid in a way that I don't quite know how to describe. No, but you it, know what I mean? No, and I, you, you summed it up the right way is that his performance is different despite the fact that they're supposed, both supposed to be machines. Yeah. But he feels and looks and seems to move differently just as his construction moves differently. So, however they whether they had notes between the two of them, however they came to that conclusion, he, he got it right that they, they both are machines, but feel differently because they're constructed differently. Yeah. And it completely works. I mean, it's, it's, it's both performances are fantastic. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure that the intention was to have somebody that looked more of, you know, an everyman to then have the contrast of, of when they do square off. And again, it, it's James Cameron knows what he's doing. But it works perfectly of getting somebody that is significantly smaller and does not look imposing to be far more, in reality, far more menacing and far more dangerous than the T-800. And when they do have their battles, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, and it makes sense just considering that, I mean, the original concept for the first movie was for the Terminator to be much more of an every... Blend in. Yeah, and just to be the idea that it's a machine camouflaging itself as a human... But the whole point of the T-1000 is camouflage, so the, of course you, it should be someone who looks very normal, and it shouldn't be a big muscle-bound guy who's going to stand out. Like, the T-1000 is, the whole point of it is to blend in. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's perfect casting. It makes sense. Yeah. So, he very quickly gets, the T-1000 very quickly gets a non-knife or stabbing weapon. Um, yes. You don't, you don't see it, and you don't know it, that... That guy's dead. Yeah. Oh, no, he's dead. Yeah, okay. What I'm saying is that I, this is where I think that they do, a, a, in my view, a good job of not showing it so you're not 100% yet. Oh, it's interesting. You're right. You don't know. I mean, if you don't know that he's a killer at this point. Right. Then... And you don't know he's a shapeshifter either because you the way they cut away and he could have easily just stolen those clothes like Kyle Reese took that poor bum's pants. <laughs> right. That guy took my pants. <laughs> exactly. Um, but he also has, you know, the, the perfect car as well. He's got a police car. So the yeah. T-1000 is really set up really quickly. The first of many police cars. Yes. It's one thing that uh, there are so many law enforcement vehicles stolen in this movie. I, I took account. 
Oh, I, you did. All I, right. I, I, we'll, we'll, we'll keep tracking them as we go. There's this o- is the first law enforcement vehicle. There, there's only one law enforcement vehicle that I really care about that gets stolen, and it's much later in the movie. Okay. I assume I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, of course we'll you see. do. Um, but also, human casualty 6.0. Just <laughs> are, that our, our, our cop is gone. Um, yeah, so he, he gets John Connor's address from the, the, the computer system. Yeah. He's got scamods. This, this is one of the things when being the nit, nitpicking that we're doing on these. This is one thing that I, I wasn't as happy about, that the T-1000 is really lucky that there's only one delinquent in L.A. named John Connor. Um, that he's be, he gets a really much faster shortcut than in the original movie where there were multiple Sarah Connors. Well, he probably knows the birthday, right? And you could probably narrow it down that way. Right? Yeah, I, I guess, but the fact or that... at least he has a sense of when he was born. Yeah, he, okay, the, even if they knew when he was born, the fact that he's able to that quick... I don't know if just with a birthday, if the police have that ability to just look somebody up. I, yeah, I mean, in 1991 or 1995, whatever, let's just assume 1995. Yeah, 1995. Because uh, I, I, I offhandedly referenced Scamods, which is a thing from the Blues Brothers. Uh, in the Blues Brothers, there's a, there's a like thing where the cop has like a computerized thing in his car, and that was 1980. So I don't know. I mean, I don't remember. I don't know what computer technology would have been like, but they, they probably had some kind of... It's like custom software that they maybe their computers could tie into some central database. I mean, I I want the movie to have good pacing, and this gets it there. But this was one of the ones that I I kind of like. Eh, I'm not so sure about that. But anyway, we we quickly move to the next day, and John is John Connor's introduced Edward Furlong. Wait, before we do that, do you want to go over John Connor's arrest record? Oh man, you've you've got all the details. Yeah, <laughs> let, let, let's get it. But I, I don't know if these are dates, because this, this says 91-something-something, which was like 1991? He would have been six? Is this saying that he... So it was trespassing, and that was the one that says 91. So I, I'm going to assume these are not dates. It's just like a code. So uh, one, one count uh, trespassing, one count shoplifting, one count disturbing the peace, and one count vandalism. Yeah, since he's supposed to be 10 years old in this movie, I'd like to think those are all recent because, yeah, if he was Probably. Like seven or eight years old, that's, that's tough to have pulled some of those off. Because next to each one, it's, it, has a, it 91 dr one seven one. So I, I wasn't sure if that 9-1 was a year. Because the next one's 9-2, the next one's 9-2, and the next one's 9-3. So I don't know if that's... It could, they could be years, but that seems like a stretch that he was... It could be. Committing, I, he was trespassing at age six. Yeah, it, but it's interesting because if it was... Edward Furlong, who I think was 13 when this was filmed. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I don't know if... It's hard to buy him as a 10-year-old. Yeah, no, so that's the thing, is if it actually was John at 13 and his first was trespassing at 10, yeah, I might, I might buy that. Yeah, that would be believable. Yeah. So the way that Edward Furlong looks, I could completely believe that those were years... Wait, I, I, you know, again, I, I'm not sure how much it really matters. This movie is really playing fast and loose with the time. Yeah. That's another thing that I think is not... I I prefer the first movie where the first movie is very specific about when it is set. Yep. This movie is like ah, you know, it's ten years later. Yeah. yeah but John Connor's supposed to be ten, but he he does not look ten. He looks. No. I mean, Ed Furlong is thirteen, and he looks. He looks thirteen, if yeah, not older. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where movies always have a hard time where you cast a kid and then, but you're not shooting for another six months, and then suddenly the kid shows up and he looks like he's two years older or yeah. whatever. Like I, I know that that's a thing that happens. So. I wonder if that's what it was. Or maybe he looked 10 when they cast him and suddenly, he, Thanks. suddenly he's gone through puberty. And, exactly. Well, it changes well, quick. Yeah, but it uh, doesn't really matter. So here's my, here's my question to although, you. Although, sorry, I don't, I'm sorry to cut you off, but it, 
I, I, I want to amend that because it does matter because they, they give a date to Judgment Day. Yep. I think the mistake it makes, was that what you're going to say? No. I, oh. Well, anyway, I just, I, I sh- if they were going to play Fast Moves with the date of the, the movie takes place in, they shouldn't have given Judgment Day. Judgment Day up front. That's, that's, that's fair. No, what I was going to ask is, why does it take all day or all night, I guess, for the T-1000 and T-800 to get to John? Uh, does it take all night? Oh, I guess because it's the middle of the night. It's like the middle of the night. I mean, so what you're, are you going to tell me that it was like four or five in the morning, so it was just about dawn? But I mean, are those bikers really out? I, I took it that it should be like midnight or one in the morning. Yeah, I didn't think about that. This is, that's, this that's is a good an, point. This is another beef that I have because it, it clearly, I mean, the newspapers delivered when you get to, you know, the next day, the newspapers delivered. People are all, all out on the street. Yeah. I took that, that that's probably like, I don't know, nine or 10 o'clock probably. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So it's I not did, like 5 a.m. No, it's not, it's not dawn. Yeah. So, I mean, did the, the, did the Terminators, did they wind up like in Northern California and had to drive their way <laughs> yeah, down or maybe, something? Maybe it was a long drive. I mean, yeah. it's a good point. If we were being critical of Kyle Reese for doing nothing that first day, we could be critical <laughs> of these the two, two Terminators. The two Terminators were just, well, Kyle Reese goofed off. I'm going to goof <laughs> off for a while, too. They went and met and had like coffee like in heat. <laughs> oh, that is a great idea. Oh, that's the scene I want. That would be pretty great. Oh, James Cameron, that's the scene that I wanted on the cutting room floor. Is the you're right, the heat coffee scene between between the two Terminators. Someone needs to like do an animated version of that and then put it on YouTube or something. Oh, if that, only we had the talent to do that. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Uh, but yeah, anyway, yeah, you're saying John Connor is here with his dirt bike. He's working on his dirt bike. Yeah, he's tuning it up. And the kid from Different Strokes, the red-headed kid, yes. is, his, is with, his buddy. The, the red-headed kid from Different Strokes with a mullet, too. I'm like, oh, man. That, <laughs> that was another thing that on my notes of, yeah, that, that does not play very well today. And that's the kind of thing that was already kind of outdated in 1991. Like, it was he, on its way out. He looks like he's, he's out of, like, 1987 or something. Yeah. Like, he looks like, you know, I don't know, is he, like, is he wearing, like, a Motley Crue jacket or something? Like that's, yes. Even by 91, it's like, no, that that's kid. <laughs> all should have been long gone. Yeah. And then Todd and his step-parents, Todd and what? What's this? Todd and Janelle. Janelle, yeah. I don't know if you get their last names here. You do, because it's Voigt, because I have a note somewhere saying, oh, so his, his, his name is John Voigt now. John Voigt. Oh, so then at some point, he might, it would be John Voigt's John, car. John Voigt's car, that's right. It would be great if like, they changed the timeline, and now just like, the great hero, John Voigt. <laughs> The hero of the the war against the machine. So really, actually, George might have actually got John Connor's LeBaron convertible. That's well, that's right because it was a different John Voight. It was it, not that John. Yes, Voight. and he spelled his name J O H N instead of J O N as John. As John Connor, does. yeah, that's, that's the way John Connor spells it. Yeah, name. yeah. I think I think we've, we're onto something. We're on, on something. Seinfeld. George bought John Connor's. Yes, car. we're on. We got two two ideas that we're on here that somebody needs to. <laughs> Have the animated sequence of the T-1000 and T-800 having the coffee in heat, and that uh, the John Voight car from Seinfeld was John Connor's car. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, they ride off to the mall, blasting Guns N' Roses. Yes, they take off, and then we um, get back to Sarah. So we finally... This is actually a, a pretty, pretty decent chunk. I don't know, five, five minutes or so, probably, without her. Well, no, if you get the opening before the credits... It's probably even more than that. Before they introduce her? Yeah, introduce. I mean, you have her voiceover, but she's, you know, obviously the star of the first one, and it takes a little while to get her in the, into the second one here. Yeah, I mean, the movie does a similar thing it does in the first movie, and I think James Cameron's really good at this, where it, like, carries you from one thing to the next. Like, it starts with Sarah's voiceover setting up the machines that they sent back to, mach- to Terminators. Two Terminators. Right. Then you see the two Terminators arrive, so, like, her... 
one one thing carries you to that, and then it's when the T one thousand looks up John Connor's name. That's when you cut to John Connor, and then he's talking about his mother, and they they, they do the thing with the is it, oh no they they he just says to Janelle, "You're not my mother, Janelle," yeah. or whatever, and then they cut to Sarah Connor. Like James Cameron loves to do that. I think he does it really well. Where you know he's he's transition. Yeah, he's transitioning from the previous scene to the next scene by just you know using those like, conceptually Cues. bridging the gaps. Or yeah. whatever. I don't know what you'd call that, but. Uh, so I think that's why. He just I just wanted yeah, to I carry think, you through the steps to, to Sarah Connor. I think the transition is, she's not my mother, Todd. And that's right. Takes off. <laughs> that's right. Talk, but speaking about Janelle. Yeah, so Janelle's about not Janelle. his mother. Exactly. So then we get uh, Dr. Silberman, and uh, he's patrolling the halls with his uh, eager eager students, I guess. Yeah, I, is that what they are? They're, this is like a teaching hospital? I, I, I don't know if it's a teaching but yes, I, I, I took that as is that they are learning from the great Dr. Silberman. I couldn't tell what that was. It was like, it was like a tour group? Like, who, who is he taking through this? But yeah, I guess that makes more sense if they're students. Uh, Dr. Silberman, continue, Silberman, we just talked about this before we started, yes. and I already made the mistake, Silberman. Uh, played by Earl Bowen. He continues to be great. He's from the same yep. character as the first movie. I, I love this character. He's He continues to be yeah, hilarious. He's, he's bridged because he's in T3 as well. I mean, he doesn't have much. They, yeah, they barely get him in there. That's but, more of a cameo, but yeah. he's, he's in it a little bit. Um, I just love how dismissive he is. Where he's telling these people what her condition is, and yeah. she's like, and he's, he's saying, oh, she says that she was sent to protect her back. He was from the future, future too. He was from the future too. <laughs> the way he gives that line, yeah, he delivers it well. But Sarah, Sarah gives gives it pretty good back. With, how's the knee? Yeah, <laughs> and then uh, he he reveals that she stabbed me in my kneecap with my pen <laughs> two weeks ago. Yeah, that's pretty good. So here's my question: What do you think Silberman thought happened? Because he narrowly escaped being brutally murdered by the T eight hundred. He knows that someone came in and killed all the people in that police station. So he does he just think he still gives no credence to her story, despite the fact that it fits it the story that he knows about. It the- is interesting because you're right. He he literally w- was seconds away from being part of he, that massacre. He passed the Terminator. Right. He walks right past him, he, and he only doesn't see what that it, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger because he looks down as his beeper goes yeah, right. off. It's That's been- the only reason he doesn't see his face. Yeah. So it's it's. It, I don't know. I mean, it just—it's just showing how you know how dismissive he is. Or even though he was there, he doesn't he believe ref- her. In the he slightest. refuses to acknowledge that it's even possible that her story is true. Yeah, I mean, he gets inc- incontrovertible proof in this movie that all yes. this stuff is true. So we'll get there in a bit. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah, so there. This is where you then get the the beginnings. The first, and I had had the asterisks of the first extended scene. I I don't think anything is lost here. Um, no, this is completely unnecessary. I agree. Yeah, and. So it, I, I don't I don't know on these you know cutscenes how much we want to cover, but ultimately what you get is Dougie, uh, who's one of the uh, attendants orderlies. I'm not sure what the the correct term is. Um, is to administer discipline to Sarah because Sarah has is turned turned her bed into a uh, a, a pull up like bar. A, yeah, she's doing pull ups. Yeah, she's doing pull up frame on the frame. Uh, and Doctor Silverman doesn't like the patience rearranging the furniture I, I wish we had our soundboard this time i was uh, unfortunately the, i broke a, a cable before we started so <laughs> we can't play clips this episode unfortunately but i would i would go and play play our soundboard uh yeah it's weird i don't think we need these like orderlies to be like villainous no i it doesn't there's no reason i mean i i did think because there's the moment later where he like licks her face yeah I thought that was cut also but i guess no that's also in the theatrical cut so maybe. it is no and i, I distinctly remembered that and that always seemed out of place and now 
having gone through and seen the extended cut, you know, it it makes more sense, is more consistent. And it's interesting that they decided to leave that in, or maybe it was just tougher to cut that up from the rest of that sequence that you do need to show her escaping. Right. Um, Yeah, because she takes something or... Paperclip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Paperclip. So I guess they couldn't cut around that lick. No. There was no way around it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's cut out a, a good cut. And we get back to the T-1000 who finally has arrived at, uh, Todd and Janelle's. Yeah. He, he gets the photograph of John. Yeah. This is, uh, and I, and this is one that I think that it is interesting that to me, the T-1000 is an advanced prototype in a lot of ways because the, the T-1000 is pretty conversational. I mean, it, it doesn't talk unless it's necessary, but this clearly is an instance where it needs to. And it's it's pretty advanced in its conversation. It is much more capable of interacting with human beings and passing as human. Yeah. I think I think we commented in the Terminator episode about how yeah. the, the machines hadn't <laughs> quite cracked the code on uh, in, in, communicating exactly. like, naturally. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the T one thousand could one hundred percent blend in permanently. Like, I don't think anyone would suspect anything. I mean, maybe you'd think like, well, that's kind of an odd person. Like, he's maybe a little self serious or whatever right. but you you wouldn't think anything was up was no just... but i i mean from the things of you know do you mind if i keep this in terms of the picture yeah when well, he's he's a good looking boy like the, the fact that he he thinks he's... to interject that exactly and so i you know i i wondered if you were going to criticize and say that the T1000 is too advanced no, and I that they it's... reveal it too quickly but i i think that it, it for me i think it works really really well that both in terms of its construction as well as its processing capability, that it's far advanced from the T-800. Well, if you believe that the movie is not trying to tip its hand about who is the good guy and who is the bad guy, then... That works, too. Yeah, because at this point, you don't even know he's a Terminator. Right. You, you have no... Nothing has told you at this point. That, you have seen nothing up until this point that he killed that police officer, any of that stuff. So you're, you're right. In a couple of ways, I think it works really, really well in still holding it, and it's not going to be for much longer that it holds it. Right. Um, but also, when you go back and then watch, knowing that the T-1000 is a bad guy, that it is really a, a significantly advanced prototype. Yeah. I just Maybe they did want to keep it a mystery or keep, make you think that the T-1000 is the Reese of this story. I don't, I don't know. know if it, I don't know if it wants to make you think that. I, I, to me, I always just get the sense that it's trying to balance it that you're not sure until they finally reveal, which is that poor, that poor guy with the Pepsi. Oh, I yeah. just feel so bad for that guy. I mean, I know we're going to get there. But until well, that... That's, that's why I'm, I'm sad we can't play clips this episode, because I was getting, getting ready to gear up the collateral damage <laughs> clip in, in honor of that guy. Uh, that guy is a great example of collateral damage. Uh, it's more fun for us to do it. Uh, I agree. Yeah, but anyway, this, this is where we, uh, John and uh, and friend. I don't even know the kid's name, and I, I'm sure it's, I'm sure we get it somewhere, but I didn't yeah. write it down. Uh, they're stealing money out of the ATM. Yeah, and to me, the only reason this is in there is a long setup for at Cyberdyne. I mean, that that's you know, other than yeah. to establish how he's got some walking around money, uh, which is good because later on um, it's in a cut scene, but they do then explain how he has money to go and buy food and, and stuff like that. Yeah, and it's a show that uh, Sarah's been teaching him stuff and yeah. like kind of how to get by, how to survive. You know, I mean, obviously beyond the law, but uh, you know, she's definitely teaching him some some skills. Yeah, and so then you know he's after he's taken off with that money, gets back on the bike. The T T eight hundred is 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 trailing him, but hasn't positively identified him yet yeah this is i have my note on his buddy's clothing <laughs> i forgot he was wearing zubas 
Oh, I missed that. He's got Zubas on? Orange Zubas. Oh, that. (laughs) You know what? This has just confirmed. That firmly locks this up ahead of the Terminator for me, that it is preserving Zubas. (laughs) Just the fact that it's in the movie. Yes, the fact that Zubas are in there. Yes, it it now has moved up an even higher notch for me. Just to prove that they existed. Yes. In in 100 years, people were like, that wasn't real. Like, no, let's put in Terminator 2. Yes, Zubas absolutely were. Is it pronounced Zubas? I thought it was was Zubas. Is it Zubas? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Either way. (laughs) They're terrible either way. If you don't know what Zubaz are, just that's the, that kid, what that kid's wearing with his pants. Yes. Those are Zubaz. Yeah. Oh, oh so back to the extended cut. Yeah, the, 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 this is the one where it is a really long dream sequence with Sarah and Kyle. This, I think, also maybe should have been in the movie. I'm kind you of do? on the fence because it is long, but I think it adds a lot. I mean, first of all, it gets Reese in the movie. It does. It, I, and I do, it, I do like the setup of she during the dream, she eventually runs down the hall. And it bookends nicely with when eventually the T-800 comes out of the elevator, she runs down the hall, basically in the same way. Yeah. Um, so I, there are a few things I like, but it's a really long sequence. It is. It, but it's, it does a lot of things. I mean, it, I think it's nice to get Michael Bean in the movie. It sets up her dream for later. I mean, yep. it, you could say it's just a repetition. You, you don't need both. Uh, but I don't know. I, I, I kind of like the gradual reveal of the dream. You see the first part of it, but you don't see the, the horrific conclusion. Uh, yeah, and, and it does also show a longer and extended of the like the softer Sarah Connor. And yeah. that, that I do miss because you really don't get, you know, on the, on the scooter <laughs> driving. To, you don't get that at all really in this movie. Two things about that. Number one, I like the fact that in her dream, her like romant, yeah. romantic vision of, of Kyle Reese, he's still wearing his hobo clothes. Oh, <laughs> that is a good observation. It's still, I mean, she really didn't see him in anything else, but you're, you're yeah, right. I right. like how, you, in her, even in her dream, I can't change reality. I'm not going to dress him up nicely. That's the only way she can remember him. Uh, and also, the uh, third thing, but uh, I, I love the way Michael Bean delivers the line where he says, uh, there's not much time left in this world, Sarah. Like, I can't do it justice. Like, the yeah. way he, 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 there's a lot of gravity to that line. Yeah. Michael Bean, I, I'm just glad to see him in this movie. Um, I had a third point, and now I forgot it, so whatever. Two, two points again. Redact <laughs> back, that. Back to two. So after the so once you get the extended cut cut out, it still goes back to Sarah, but it's Sarah watching effectively a video of herself yeah. um, talking to Dr. Silberman, which this, it's interesting because her watching a video of herself is also you eventually get being videotaped. So it's the <laughs> right. video of the video. Yeah, eventually they're just going to rec- recursion their way all the way back to like the beginning of, of time. Or yes. Um, so she's telling the story of the original Terminator in this, and she has this dream that's a recurring dream, and Dr. Silverman continues to ask her and make her relive these, um, despite the fact that it doesn't seem to be anything therapeutic about what he's doing. No, I. this is why I like Silverman. I, I think it's interesting because in the first movie... I think Earl Bowen, who plays him, is a little over the top. He's just kind of like yawning, like, oh, you know, like that stuff. Here, his, his like, callousness is so much more subtle. Like, the the, the video is playing of, of Sarah pouring her heart out and talking about all these horrors that she's, you know, that she knows it's are coming. Coming and is extremely vivid. And Silverman is the greatest acting choice. Silverman is just, like, casually flipping the remote control over his hand, just yep. playing with it. Just He's not paying attention. He doesn't all. care. No notes. It's such a nice acting moment. Yeah. It's, just, it's just a little thing that he's doing that tells you everything you need to know about Dr. Silverman. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so great. 
He is not the least bit interested in anything she has to say. No. Yeah, and you're right. You're like, the, the idea that, like, what's what's he doing to treat her? Like, he's not doing anything. He's no. Just, he's just collecting a paycheck. Like, he's, he's got a nice little scheme for himself. Yes. Uh, so Sarah tries to play off that uh, she's much better. She's taking her medication, which that is the one thing that we... Um, I don't know if you get it here. Maybe you get it later that they, yeah, they Dougie forces the medication on her. It's actually in a later scene. It's yeah. not in that first one. It's in a bit. Yeah. Uh, but she's taking her medication. She's better. And Dr. Silverman um, is suspect of that and think, thinks that Sarah's just telling him what he wants to hear. And he, he, he may be callous, but he's not dumb either. Yeah. I think that's, that's a little later because first, first they're talking about how like she's saying that she doesn't believe the things anymore. That, and it's another one of these cuts that James Cameron's so good at where she goes, he goes like, oh, so you don't believe that the company covered it up, blah, blah, blah. That, that's right, to Cyberdyne. They go, she goes, why would they? And then they cut to Cyberdyne. You're you right. get all that set up, and then they come back to her saying absolutely, she, she's, she's better, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I mean, let's talk about Cyberdyne real quick because we meet Miles Dyson. Yep, Miles Benedict Dyson. Yeah, and, uh, and Pepsi intern, I was calling him. Yeah, Pe- Pepsi is prominent. In a couple of scenes. Uh, the, our, our collateral damage guy later is also carrying a Pepsi. Yes, like they, and there's a Pepsi machine that uh, John passes as he's running on his way out, and yeah. the Terminator passes. No question they had to make a few deals in this movie. Yes. So Pepsi was, was one of them. I'm sure there were Pepsi commercials. Like I, I don't remember them, but there had to have been. Now I wish I'd looked up. Like, I'll bet there's a Pepsi commercial like where the Terminator, like Arnold, or maybe some like, phony T-1000 like you know, he's, he's he thinks he's gonna kill somebody, and then he, he reaches for the Pepsi <laughs> just for the taste of it. Oh, if there wasn't that commercial, there I'll, should have been. I'll bet there was something. Uh, but it's Cyberdyne. Here's my question for you: Why is there a giant dinosaur in Cyberdyne yeah, Systems? The inflatable dinosaur. Thank you. I could not figure that out. I think it's just you know, there's just a bunch of dorks who work at this place, and they're into they they just wanted to, they really dig dinosaurs. A dinosaur. I don't know. It you is, you it don't is think that detail. they were also working uh, for John Hammond on Jurassic oh, Park? So? <laughs> That's what I wonder. They've changed the like they they go in and destroy things, and they change to a, a more horrible future where the dinosaurs <laughs> exactly. like, take over the world. Yeah, cyber dinosaur. There you go. Uh, so yeah, you get you get the also the connection then to the first movie, and you're right. It is a really really good cut that it ties up Sarah and what happened in the first movie that the chip and the arm was left behind in the first one yeah and i don't i don't remember if we talked about this when we covered the terminator but this this whole idea was supposed to be in the yeah. first movie it, no, was, a, it you, was a deleted scene you told the, me that it was a deleted scene that you know from the exterior you saw cyberdyne but the factory where everything occurred was it, cyberdyne yeah and then there's, there's a deleted scene where two guys come in and like find the arm i don't think they talk about a chip but i think they find the arm just sticking out of, sticking the, machine, out of the machine and it's like oh it's, yeah. you know, something like that so it's, it's it's nice that he took that and he repurposed it for this movie uh, I do like this clean room they pass through. There's a clean room with a bunch of guys in like masks and like they're all like yeah. cleaned up and they just walk through like it's but, nothing. Like, well, they walk through and there's a security guard just hanging out there yeah, too, just it's, sitting in there. I'm not. I mean, I'm not an expert on how clean rooms work, but that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. No, that security guard, by the way, that's that's a, speaking of cush jobs. Oh yeah, that guy. He, he just, just sits sit- in that room all day. He's reads, doing nothing. Reads the paper. Yeah, just I, I'm going to turn a key every once in a while. Yeah, just wait for Miles Dyson to come in. I'll turn yeah. my key back to reading the paper. Yeah, I wonder what he got paid. <laughs> I, don't know, I, I saw that. I, was like, I Did, want that job. In terms of so, and after that, you know, you get the reveal on the um, the chip in the hand. It does go back to Sarah. But before that. Did you notice among the things that Doctor Silverman did? You, did you notice that he made sure to put put his pen away? 
Oh no, I didn't. That's he, a does, great... he, he put. I mean, I, he, he puts his pen in his pocket. That's a great. I, 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 I think that that is absolutely intentional. That he he makes sure that his pen is secure. That's really funny. So. That's then little things like that. Like you know, that's really the mark of a great director. I mean, that may have also been Earl Bowen's yeah. choice or whatever, but it's li- that's a detail. It's like you know. Those little things really add up yeah. in a movie like this. Especially, yeah. Even if you don't notice them. Like, subconsciously no. you do. Like, I didn't notice that, but... No, and I, like, going through it, I'm like, that is a, a great attention to detail. And again, it's... Dr. Silverman may be callous, but he's not stupid. No. <laughs> he learned from his mistake of being stabbed in the kneecap. Yeah, because yeah, and he's right to do it because she freaks out here when he denies her uh, you know, to move to minimum security. Right. So, yeah, the, so. the plot point being is that at a minimum, and this is where I, in the first one you indicated that he wasn't a villain character. He's, he's far more villainous yeah, in this one. No question about it. Is that she literally is just asking to make a phone call. She is not asking for less security. And so that to me seems pretty, pretty villainous. I think. Well, I think it's both. I think the the hearing or whatever this meeting is is to she she is requested to move to minimum security, and then when he says no, I think that's that, at that point does she just say like, oh, but can I at least have a phone call? Yeah. And then he still says no. Yeah, he says no, and I think she says, you know, he's naked without me. Yeah, I need to speak with him. Then I, I at least a phone call, or you know, that's not exactly the line. And then he still shuts her down. That's what I'm saying. Is he just seems far more villainous? Yeah, agreed. In this rendition, agreed. You know, and enough time has passed that you could see you could see how that guy from the first movie, who was just kind of indifferent, move moving more into like op- more. He's still the same. Excuse me, he's still the same character. But yeah, you're right. He's more openly villainous yeah. than, than he was before. So, uh, as you noted, Sarah does not take this news well, and a lot of restraints come in. <laughs> yeah, model citizen. Yes. Another great... Earl Bowen, I'm a big... I, I like him. Uh, so, we then get back to the naked John riding around into me, what no, is... Not literally naked. No, not literally. <laughs> to be clear. I'm sure people have seen this movie, but <laughs> the naked John he, riding his motorcycle... He is not... Uh, paints a picture. ...pulled a burning man, and he is not <laughs> no. riding through the viaducts of L.A. And here's a question I have for you. I don't. I don't know if it's because this movie is so um, influential in my, from my childhood of action movies, or are the via, are these viaducts are they in as many L.A. movies as I think they are? Do you? I mean, this, to me, this is something that's very distinct, and I don't know if it's because of this movie, but I mean, in Drive, there's just a lot of movies. When I think L.A., I this is what I think of for Los Angeles. Oh yeah, and I think we brought it up in the last Action Hero episode where they have their the they, chase goes down they, into the they, L.A. River. Yeah, and to to me, it goes down in there. I, I think because of Terminator Two. Yeah, it could be. But it, to me, this that is if you were to ask me, I, you need to set the movie. It's either the Hollywood sign or, or this. Yeah. I mean, LA. LA doesn't have a ton of landmarks. I mean, there's that one building, whatever that tallest building is, it's kind of like round on the top. Yeah. Independence Day used it. Uh, there's the Hollywood sign. Yeah, there's the LA River. I, I don't know what else you would use. Like, especially like a lot of the, a lot of like classic Hollywood landmarks are gone now. Like the Brown Derby. It's like, that's not even around anymore. Right. Like, well, there's a lot, there's not a ton that they could use. So, I mean, it makes sense. Like, if you're going to set a chase in L.A., yeah. Like, yeah, set it down there. Why not? No. And so this is at least the first one that I remember. Um, there very well may have been others. But, I mean, to me, this is the, the sequence that eventually, and it sets it up great to have him down there first. Yeah. 
before you actually have the chase sequence. It shows that he uses these viaducts to like get around yeah. the city. Right? and I think it establishes, right, that it's not just some panic move or that they just wanted to set it there that they established first. No, this is... And it, it is, too. It's, it fits with John Connor. It's an area that should be off, you know, off limits and you shouldn't be in, and that's where he's driving around. I think it works. Yeah, I mean, it does, it does show during the chase that uh, the T-800 has to, like, shoot locks off of doors, so it's not clear how they're getting into the... I mean, I assume these... These, that viaduct is locked off. Yeah. So he must have some. Maybe he's picking a lock. Yeah, well, knows. the kids probably have one that they've cut the fence or something yeah, like that, that they be. know how to get down. They know where all the fences are Exactly. Cut. But so from up above, the T-800 scans, and this is where he makes the positive ID. Yeah. They're still playing Guns N' Roses. They've been listening to this song the whole way. Well, they got it. They got it hit on repeat. They got the repeat button knocked down. Well, I just I only bring it up because much like the Pepsi, this, this song is clearly business into this movie. I mean, I, I like the song. I actually... I'm not even really that big a Guns N' Roses fan, but I did see them in concert recently. Since now, now they're back, like the classic lineup, quote unquote, is back together. I didn't know that. Yeah, but a couple months ago they were they played Soldier Field, so and they played this song. So I was just like, oh, yeah, Terminator. I, I I recognize this from that at least. So this is probably then a good a book, good point to ask you on this is the score. And to to me, I, is is there any part of this score that is not great? Uh I'm not going to call it great. Really? Yeah. Wow. I'm. I don't. I don't dislike it, but I don't think it's great either. I, I think it's. It's better. It's. I, I. I said in the Terminator. I remember definitely saying this in the Terminator episode. Cats jumping around on a keyboard. Yeah, that score had moments where it's just like, what is this music? Like it's that score is very inconsistent. The Terminator theme is great. Yeah. But I also prefer the term, the theme from the first movie. I like that you version have, better. I understand that. So, I think this this. Score is much more consistent than the previous movie. It doesn't it? You know, it doesn't have the high highs, but it doesn't it doesn't have the crazy weird lows that that first movie has. There's the, the, it's just kind of weird and screeching in a way that I'm not crazy about. Like I certainly would not listen to the score outside of the movie. Okay, put it that way. I guess I understand that why you wouldn't listen to it. But what I, I guess for me is that, and maybe it's just the T1000, but it seems like every time the T1000 is on screen, the score and the and the sounds and the music for the T1000 are fantastic. See, I can't even really picture. Are you just talking about like the moments where he's just kind of looking around and like there's that. stalking them or kind of thing? Yeah, or? there's that. And it's like, oh yeah, yeah. I think it's perfect. That's pretty good. And then I think actually that you're but right. It's almost re- not music. It's almost just like a soundscape. Yeah. So you know maybe, I mean? maybe score isn't, but maybe then it is sound. I think I think this. I think there were four Academy Awards for this, and I think sound and sound editing it, it won for for both of those sure but not not music not our best no, original music no not not best original music so i don't know where no, the, and this movie has great sound yeah i don't know where the t1000 kind of music sounds would come in but the, I, what you're talking about is like no. the chase sequence when it's running i think that that's perfect of setting the scene it fits it fits the movie okay i don't i don't hate it you know. all right that's fine yeah so this is yeah, the t8 T-800 identifies him, and this is where I have that the T-800 is already causing damage because there's a little fender bender type car accident <laughs> yeah. as he identifies him and then takes off after him. Yeah, I do like that moment. Yeah. Uh, the T-1000 asks some like, girls from the neighborhood. Yeah, so the girls from the neighborhood, uh, the redhead, played by Nikki Cox. Yeah, who, I didn't know that until oh, you didn't? recently. Yeah. yeah, no, I... So when she really became famous... Um, Couple years after this, I I knew I'm like that. That was I'm like shoot. That girl was in Terminator Two. I learned this like three days ago. So oh wow! <laughs> and then so I don't know. So they the what I have read is that the thought is is that this also whether T three then played off of it or this was to set up was the Claire Danes character is supposed to be Nikki Cox's character. That was the other thing I read three days ago. Yeah. Is that just a fan theory or is that somehow confirmed? I don't know if it's confirmed. 
everything I've read is fans. I haven't seen anything specific to confirm that it's supposed to be, but it's, I think it fits the timeline and also makes it plausible why just some random girl on the street would know John Connor was going to the Galleria. Yeah. I mean, it's the kind of thing, if that's the case, and if this, like, if Terminator 3 had come out first and this had been a prequel, that's the scene they would have been like, oh, this is, you know, they would right. have, like, gone out of their way. To out of their way to be, yes, very, very obvious. Yeah. It was obviously, I don't think John Connor, like, you know, T3 was made, was not made by or, uh, James Cameron, so. No. Uh, wanted nothing not, to do with it. It's not like he's setting this up as some... It's obviously not intentional. Like, it's some kind of... you know. I think fans just retroactively... Yeah, but I, I think it it makes this scene more believable, their explanation in T3, because otherwise it's a little hard to know why... If he's bombing around the viaducts, why does this you know this girl on the street know where John Connor was going? Yeah, I mean, they obviously, like, you know, John and his buddy swung by and chatted up the girls for yeah. a little while, I'm sure. And this is just something we didn't see. Uh, should we explain who Nikki Cox is? I wonder if, like, young people even know who she is. <laughs> sure, go ahead. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's not worth doing. She was, I mean, what I remember her from is Unhappily Ever After. after. Yeah. And, I mean, I think she did some other stuff, so, which was basically... Married with children. She was on Baywatch briefly. Oh, I didn't remember that. Well, no, she was she actually on Married with Children? Because Unhappily Ever After was like the Married with Children knockoff. No, that's what I said. It was basically like Married oh, with Children. Okay. I didn't hear you. Um, so, you know, Family Guy to the Simpsons yeah. in, in some ways. She was Christina Applegate. Yes. She was that, the equivalent. Okay. But just, just, that, I, that, show I was, that show was on a lot longer than I remembered it being Unhappily on. Ever After? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of terrible shows. Yeah. That, it, it was not good. No. Enough about Unhappily Ever After. <laughs> yeah, so let's, the, let's talk about The Terminator instead of talking about <laughs> one of the worst sitcoms ever made. Uh, so, so the T-1000 is then headed to the Galleria, uh, as the T-800 is, and the Galleria is the mall from Commando. So we've, we've gotten uh, good use, good mileage out of this mall. Yeah, this time I recognized it. Yeah. I think in Commando I said I didn't recognize it, but uh, yeah, he walked right past the elevator that he, in Commando, he Tarzan down to. Tarzan down to, yes. Uh, yeah, when, when he's walking in with his flower, his box of flowers, I'm pretty sure that's the same elevator he's walking right oh, past. Oh, yeah, it absolutely is. And so they are in an arcade, which uh, is interesting since arcades seem to uh, you know be in a renaissance <laughs> phase right now. It is interesting to see them inside a mall. Uh, I mean, barcades are... It's still, I don't think it's, nowadays is a thing kids do. It's more like adults yeah. trying to Be- recapture. Believe it or not, man, a lot. Of, I've I've read a couple of articles now. Oh that, yeah, they're coming yes, back. That they absolutely are. Yeah. Oh, that's good to hear. I didn't yeah. know that. That be, be, in in some ways because the they are a lot simpler, is that it's literally one where you know, and that's the reason I think you and I like so many of those games is you can pick them up and learn them very, very quickly. Right. So that effectively you go to one of these arcades, you know, we've gone to the galloping ghost here in Brookfield, Illinois. It's great. You you pay the flat fee, you go in and you can learn the games. It doesn't take you hours to figure them out. And, well, it can't. It can't. Like the arcade, it's an arcade game. You only have a certain amount of time with certain it. Certain amount of time can't be all that complex. No, but I, I think that there seems to be a renaissance and appreciation to be able to go in and sample things and just pick something up and enjoy it. So, anyway, I I, I don't know. Did did you recognize the game that John's playing? It was Afterburner. I do not remember playing that. Oh, you don't remember Afterburner? He no. plays two games because before that he plays Missile Command. Oh, oh, I did not. That's that's probably isn't that one where you like. 
are trying to destroy like missiles that are being fired. You're protecting cities from missiles that are being oh, fired down. So that's, like that's perfect I, for yeah, this movie. It's pretty clear why they picked that yeah. movie. Although that was a pretty old movie, even in ninety or a pretty old game, even in ninety one. Yeah, so. It probably actually wouldn't have been in that arcade. I mean, it might have been one of those. I used. I remember all the way at the back. Yeah, I remember right at the time. I'd sometimes you'd go to an arcade and it's like, what are these old games? And you'd play. I remember playing Defender and stuff like that. Like yeah. it, they were those were old when ancient. When yeah. Uh, but I, I played those, so maybe John Connor just likes the classics. But yes, he does eventually play Afterburner, which I played a lot in arcades also. Okay. Had, no, that that was one I did not remember playing. They had an Afterburner machine in the Chicago Ridge arcade, I remember distinctly. Oh. I used to go I used to play it there all the time. Feed a lot of quarters in there? Yeah. I mean it was it was that's one of those games that's a that's gonna suck quarters out of you. Like it, there's there are a lot of arcade games where you could not be good at it. Like the game was just going to kill you no matter how hard. good you are because yeah. it just wants to get more quarters out of you. <laughs> Afterburners was one of those. It wasn't a great game. So uh, the T-1000 is quickly making his way through the arcade showing. And by the way, this is, he's, he's starting to, the T-1000 is starting to lose his um, ability to blend in because he is just ruining people's arc gaming experience by putting pictures in front of the game. It's like, hey, get out of here, cop. I'm trying to play. Yeah, but a real cop would probably do it the exact <laughs> same thing. probably true. You know, they, they don't care about whether or not you're enjoying your game. They want to get, get to the bottom of their case. So uh, the red-headed mullet tries to uh, run interference, and, and that does not work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I do like how as soon as the T-1000 spots Identifies, John, yeah. he's just knocking kids yeah. over. <laughs> He is making a beeline. He's not stabbing them yet, though. Yeah, but I mean, kids that aren't even really in his way. He's no. just knocking everybody out of his way. That is pretty great. Yeah, so uh, John then somehow figures his way uh, to where Cullen Crisp in Kindergarten Cop, he's in the bowels of the mall yeah, very quickly. We've had a lot of like, mall back room scenes in yes. the last two episodes. So John is making his way through, and then this is where we, we wish we could have collateral damage because <laughs> this poor guy... Who's just went back? He's probably on his break, getting a nice ice cold Pepsi. Hey, you can't be back here. Well, he only gets killed because he stops to try to chide John. If he had yes. just gone on his way, he probably would have been fine. But no, he stops to try to like you know get chase John, John out of there. Yeah, chase John out of there, and, and no good deed goes unpunished. You don't want to be in the proximity of John Connor right now. Like no, that, that poor guy. So yeah, he's number seven point zero. Yeah, so you get um, as you noted the the big box of flowers. I I do I do really like. Because up until this moment, this is where you're going to establish, you know, which Terminator is which. Yeah. And again, I, I think that you're right that they tip it fairly significantly with the Born to be bad. But you get him pulling out a shotgun, stepping on and crushing the flowers yeah. with his music. And as he's turning the corner, John, John thinks that oh, yeah. I mean, Arnold I is the Terminator that is, is there to kill him. Well, do you think John knows? I don't think what? he knows there's a Terminator, but... I, I, well, do you think he knows what a Terminator looks like? Do you no, think he, no, okay. So that, Sarah that, taught him. That's unfair for me to say, but John thinks that something or someone is there to kill him at that moment. Well, I think at first he just thinks that a cop is after him because he did steal some money from an ATM. No, like well, he, no, the cop, what I'm saying is that when the T-800 Arnold turns the corner, he has a shotgun drawn. I, I well, think. yeah, once he sees the shotgun come out of those rows, the right. rose boxes, yeah. I mean, no, no matter what, you see someone pull a shotgun, you're going to yeah. be terrified whether you're John Connor or not. I do like, speaking of the, the rose, the, these like roses, I like the different approach that these two Terminators have for like managing to smuggle weapons into a mall where it's like the T-1000 is just dressed as a cop. So it's like, right. yeah, I can, I'm a cop. I can have a gun. Like it's, right. Again, it's more, it fits with the whole camouflage idea, whereas the T-100 is just like uh, just fl the flimsiest pretense of just like it's in this rose box. So here's what I wanted to ask you uh, and maybe the listeners uh, for <laughs> on Twitter at Bud Punch Podcast. Where, where, what flower shop 
did the T eight hundred go to? Yeah, and does he did he have to use those same uh, five interactions that he has from the first movie? Because he has not begun kind of the learning computer yet. It, That's true. So does he have just his rudimentary of no, yes, no, go away, <laughs> or come back later? How did he get those roses is what I want to know. Oh, see, I was, I was imagining a scene similar to the gun shop scene in the first movie where he's, he's like, he's asking for futuristic flowers. <laughs> just what you see here. Just that, that I like that. <laughs> he wants like VR flowers. Yeah. Where, that is, that's a good idea. I like Faced that. gardenias and 30 <laughs> watt range. So any so you then immediately get as we noted the the poor guy in the middle get just gets absolutely lit up by the <laughs> yeah. uh, the T one thousand. It is not the T eight hundred that uh, that kills the guy. Yeah, he's got nowhere to go. It's, no, uh, he he is collateral damage. He, he definitely is. And so this is then where you then get the fir- the first CGI, but you also get be- before we discuss the CGI. This is where I want to say I I really really had forgotten but really enjoy and appreciate the sounds of when the T the T one thousand gets hit it really does feel liquid I mean yeah. I, everything about the the sounds in this movie particularly with the T one thousand fit really really well I thought I think I had read somewhere that uh, the sound of his wounds closing up is like dog food slowly coming out of a can you know like something like that. I can kind of now that you say that I yeah. can kind of see how that would sound that way. Yeah, it's something. It's something like that. I definitely read at some point. So how they got that. So sound. it's like in bed, the opening to Back to the Future. They just had this mechanical arm constantly. Yeah, kind dumping of dumping out dog food for <laughs> Einstein. If they had a microphone, they're recording it. It would yeah. basically be it. Um, so yeah, we we get the establishment here of the T one thousand taking these hits, and you get the first CGI sequence. Yeah, I think the only CGI is when they close up. I think yeah. everything, it's just like makeup. They put like fake, like silvery things. On. Right, it's when he's kind of lay, laying that back down on the ground and they and the wounds heal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's CGI for sure. Yeah. Uh, and so, do you You know, this is the first instance. Does it hold up for you? I, see, I, I'm not sure. I, the T-1000 is very easily staggered. And in hindsight, I'm looking at that. I mean, it's kind of a thing this movie does. Like every time he gets hit, it's just like, ah, he just he's really getting staggered. And I don't know. In hindsight, I didn't mind it as a kid, but in hindsight, I kind of feel like it diminishes. It makes him seem less threatening. Like I feel like the bullets should just go right through him. Just go, just right through him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it shouldn't even like he's liquid. It should he shouldn't even really feel it. That would be way more terrifying if he's getting shot at and the bullets just go. Just right through him, and so he's like the hologram version of uh, in, in Total Recall, where they actually go through instead of the, the. Well, I mean, it would leave a hole, but you know what I mean. Like, I got you. He really shouldn't be staggered that much. It just seems strange to me. And I mean, again, it's not like a deal breaker, but I think it would be more threatening if he wasn't so affected by these guns. I mean, it's a gun. It's a shotgun. Like I, I think it's a fair criticism. I think to, to me though, it's two things. One. You have to have something slow it down. Otherwise, it, it truly is an unstoppable killing machine. Yeah. But at the same time, if you're going to have the T-800 take damage, I, I think you have to have this take damage and have something to slow it down as well. I think it's completely plausible. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's plausible. I mean, whatever. I mean, the, this movie gets to set whatever the rules are. Yeah. I mean, the movie, it, a T-1000 is not a real thing. It can, they, can, right. they, they can do whatever they want with it. I'm not saying that it's like, it doesn't make sense. I just kind of, I'm just kind of going. I just feel like it makes it a little less threatening. I mean, it, it's other, other than those moments where it's getting staggered, it seems unstoppable. And then when you see that, it's just like, ah, eh, maybe it's not that unstoppable. You know what I mean? Like, I just wonder if it's undermining it a little bit. So it eventually does heal. It pops up, 
And uh, you, you get, this is where you got the nice contrast that they are equally matched despite the view of the size difference and the strength difference. They're completely equally matched. Yeah. Uh, it's weird to me that, uh, I mean, again, it's setting its own rules, but they're smashing into walls and things. Uh, I guess the T-1000 is just as heavy. Like, you wouldn't think that, but it, uh, the movie is telling us that like, yeah. when Arnold slams him into the wall, the wall cracks. Cracks, yeah. Uh, so I guess it's just like super heavy liquid. But uh, Apparently so. You're right. It, it seems like it shouldn't be as dense and have the same same weight as the, the T-800. Yeah. But I mean, I guess when he like can solidify himself and then he's just, he's still, like, I guess he's just like as strong as steel when he's yeah, I, I, I solid. Would, yeah, or, I would guess maybe even stronger than steel, right? When, if he wants to make himself... Yeah, I mean he's stabbing people like that's exactly. he's obviously some very solid when he's yeah. he's putting the thing through someone's head. So you then get the the fight spills over into uh, into one of the shops and you get Arnold through through a window yet again. Yeah. So I, a nice a nice connection to the first one. Yeah, it is. I mean it it is kind of mirroring the first movie, but like reversing things. You know, like obviously the, Arnold's the good guy in this case, but right. the same thing happens to him. And I, I like the moment where the T one thousand looks at the mannequin. That's a funny little moment. I yeah. mean, it, it, it's the kind of thing that would only make sense after you've seen the movie and know because we we still haven't seen him in like full liquid form yet. No, but he looks at that mannequin and just like, oh, oh, let's <laughs> just see a familiar like, face. It's like looking into a mirror. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so the T one thousand takes off after throwing the T hunter through through the window, and John is making his way to uh, the parking garage to get his his bike. Yeah, and then T one thousand chases him out on foot and pulls that guy out of the truck. Yes. I, don't, I don't think he kills that guy. No, no, I think that guy just, uh, he, he does a, he, he's got a lot of cuts and scrapes, but he's, he survives. Well, more than that, if you look, because uh, I, I, on the trivia I saw, this guy, like, this stuntman got hurt real bad. When oh, he really? Because if you actually look, you can see he hits his head on the pavement. Oh, I did and, not like, see that. He, yeah, he was in the hospital for a while. In the end, he was fine, but he really cracked his head on the pavement, like, in real pavement, like, whoa. Wow. When you know that and you're watching, every time I watch it now, I can see it. And I'm just like, oh, it makes me wince every time. So apologies for if I'm ruining you just that, ruined that for me. Thank for you. For you and everyone listening. But, yes. uh, yeah. But anyway, this, this chase, I don't have a ton to say about this chase other than I, it, it's a fun chase. It is. A, it's a fun chase and it's very memorable. I did have the T-800 causes yet another small car accident just when he, he comes out. Yeah. Um, he's leaving a lot of chaos in his wake. Yes. No where he goes on this on a motorcycle. So yeah, it's, you know, it's a... a John being chased by the T-1000 with the T-1000 being chased by the T-800. Yeah. Um, and it makes its way back down into the, the viaducts. And there isn't a lot to say, but I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's a really well-done, tense chase. It is. And it's one of those things, uh, I was saying in Total Recall, like there's a chase in that movie through a tunnel. Yeah. And I was saying like, you know what, when there's just a chase through a tunnel or like a very narrow thing, it's usually not that interesting because where could you go? It's just straight. Yeah. But this this one manages to make it work. Like even though it's just, they're just in this viaduct and they, he can't really go, like they're not weaving through anything. He's just, they're both going straight. But yeah. it's still, it's really tense. It's and, tense. The only the things I noticed, you know, there there were at least a couple of shopping carts and a couple of burned out cars. That's true. They are dodging so, shopping carts. Yeah, they are dodging some things. And I mean, I, it is because it's a movie, but you know, LA Public Works really needs to get down there and clean that thing out there, especially the burned out cars. Now they've got a destroyed truck to deal with. Yes. With, a, with it, the top cut off. With the top cut off, a tow truck uh, that has exploded. The the only the other things that are kind of noteworthy that I even remembered is when there's the big jump on the motorcycle 
they hold way too long on the stuntman. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm just not sure why they, they don't cut. I mean, it's a really great stunt. And I know that that's probably why they wanted to leave it in there to, to not diminish a really impressive stunt. But it's just so obviously not Arnold. I mean, I think this was just, you know, I mean, nowadays they would just do a face replacement. They would just CGI and yeah. paste Arnold's face over the guy. Uh, I just feel like back then, because I always think about like Bond movies. There's so many uh, you know, instances in those movies and just action movies in general at the time where I think movies were just a lot more. Like they were just a lot more willing to just show the stunt man. Like, well, there's no way to do this with the actor. Yeah. So, and you know, you don't want to do that shot from behind. It's not as interesting a shot. No, like, no. It, you know, the, I mean, the, the shot is a great shot. The only flaw in it is it's clearly not Arnold. So right. it's like I guess they just picked their poison. Yeah, and th- and that's fair. I mean, I I certainly would not say, oh, you should take that out of the movie, or it shouldn't have been done. Right. Uh, it's so, a great moment. Yeah, and so one of the you know better advancements that you could do today, as you already noted, is you'd just be able to CGI it, and yeah, you you wouldn't notice it. The problem is, I'm afraid that they would actually CGI the stunt itself. And to me, I think it's more impressive to to really do the physical stunt. I was just about to say we should be grateful that that did that James Cameron didn't go back and George Lucas it and you know have ex- you know oh we'll we'll put Arnold's face on it but while we're at it let's we'll make, make some, it even better yeah exactly it was explosions and all kinds of so uh, uh, George Lucas wouldn't put explosions he'd put a creature or something on, yes. the, on the back of it anyway. the, <laughs> you you have ripped on Lucas on a few episodes now um. So after the explosion, you get a tire that uh, rolls its way out. That yeah. you, it, you know, first is established. You know, is that the the T eight hundred? It's not. But eventually, <laughs> oh, do you think that's the idea? Do they yeah. were supposed to wonder that that's that's the T eight hundred? No, the the fact that there's movement first. Not oh, that, no, okay. not that it's more. I thought you were saying tire. that he has disguised himself as a tire. That actually would be fantastic. <laughs> I know how I will get them. I will be a tire. <laughs> Have you ever seen the movie Rubber? I've never actually no. seen it, but it's a movie about a killer tire. Are you serious? I, yeah, it was like I'm looking that up seven, eight years ago, something like that. It was oh. a very, very small, like low budget. I am looking that up, but I wonder if they got the idea from this. But maybe that would explain that. I, I haven't seen that movie, but maybe it's the T1000. That was the killing idea. Killing people as a tire. Yes. So shortly thereafter, though, you do see the T1000 emerge in the mannequin mode, if you will, the silver version, and I think that that CGI held it held up pretty well too. Yeah, I, I think the only problem with this CGI is it doesn't move like Robert Patrick moves. It's true. Uh, but you know, I mean, this is very this. Just the fact that they could do it at all is, yeah. was impressive at the time. So you can't you can't judge 1991 no, by not, today's standards. No, and and to me, that's that's kind of how I I was afraid when we were going back and watching this is that what was in my mind was going to be a lot better. And again, it's nothing like what is done today. But I don't think it diminishes the movie at all. I don't think it's so rudimentary for how early this was that it feels like a, a 1991 movie. It doesn't feel like a movie today, but I don't think it feels like a 1991 movie. No, I mean, I think all of it holds up, even though it has, you know, there's no question that shot could be done a lot better a lot today. A lot better. But it doesn't look bad. No. In the same way that the, the most of the stuff in the first Terminator, you know, like the models and all the like future war stuff, all that holds up, even though you can kind of tell they're models. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it's still believable, like... None of it looks laughable no. you know, in either movie. So the, the T-800 takes off, um, and John tells him, uh, I need a timeout, and uh, so he stops the bike, and this is where you get some exposition that John, John is figuring things out. Yeah, he puts uh, his fingers in the Terminator's wounds, which I know it's just like, boy, my Catholic upbringing is the bells are going off now. 
but yeah, I'm sure that's intentional that, that symbolism there. But uh, yeah, and he just tells him, you know, John sent the Terminator back. He reprogrammed the Terminator. So this, this is probably the best point. I was going to wait until later, but that that, that you just that's it. <laughs> okay. Have have you have you seen the Mad TV skit, the greatest action story ever told? Uh no, it is one. So. I'll say so. It is one of the the my favorites of all time, and probably another reason why I love T two so much. So the concept is a Terminator gets sent back to protect Jesus. <laughs> I couldn't have guessed this. Yes, yeah, so, I accidentally. So instead up, of so. the greatest story ever told, it's the greatest action story ever told. Okay, gotcha. And I mean. so it just is repeatedly the 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 main scene, and where I was going to weave it into this podcast was the why. Why? Because the the, the 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 Terminator keeps asking Jesus why okay. to everything, because um, you know. But Judas will betray you. I know that it's supposed to happen. I, you know, so he's trying to explain why he needs to die and be crucified. Yeah, and so the Terminator just keeps wasting Judas. My, my mission is to protect you. My mission is to protect you. And at some point, you know, uh, Jesus heals Judas. And I don't remember what the T eight hundred says, but he distracts him and he shoots him again. <laughs> he's like, "Stop killing Judas." So the, the I'm to look that up. yeah, the, the premise is absolutely fantastic. That the Terminator gets sent back to protect Jesus. Was that like '90s Mad TV? Or the, the, yeah, that so show was on forever. So I don't, it, no, it was shortly after. after yeah, yeah, so I would say probably '92, '93. Okay, and I mean, it, I mean, it is forever burned into my head of stop killing Judas. That because Mad TV did a lot of because uh, I remember them doing a lot of Steven Seagal parodies. They did uh, that. They did Gump Fiction, which was a great one. The the combination. Pulp Fiction and Forrest Gump. That's I mean, there was right. a lot of good movie mashups, parodies in the like mid, early to mid '90s on Mad TV. Well, apparently, I was referencing a sketch I didn't even know existed. So yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, anyway, so I, I I was eventually going to weave that in because I wasn't sure if like the Arnold boards that was something that uh, you you knew from back in the day. Yeah, this is one I did not know. That's I'm going to look that up immediately. So anyway. Uh, so uh, quick, there's a quick scene in the special edition or the extended edition, whatever, uh, where the the T one thousand steals another cruiser, police cruiser, and I, and this was another one. I was <laughs> I'm like I do not think that this was in the theatrical, so I put the star, and I was right. See, I would have never picked that up. Like you know, I don't, I don't think you need to show no why he now is back in his. I think I always just assumed that he walked back to the mall and got back in his car. He, right. Apparently, no, he stole another car. So that was too far of a walk. It was just easier <laughs> to go up the viaduct and steal another cop car. I guess so. This is law enforcement vehicle number two. He's yep. he's stolen. Yeah, and then oh yeah, this is, this is where they get, the, they get the scene in the parking lot first. They call home, right? Yeah. So the this is another one of those that the the time jumps around because I, I it seems like it's a little bit getting close to dusk. I think it goes right to night. Like well, it, yeah, that's what I'm saying. But when he's going, time out, stop the bike, stop the bike. Right, that's still, the, the sun's still up. Yeah, the sun's still up. But then when you get to this, I mean, it's it's pitch black when he's pulling over and he needs to call Todd and Janelle yeah. to warn him, which this is, another, this is one of those lines that, negative, the T-1000 would definitely try to reacquire you there. Right. I would. I would is a nice line. Like Absolutely. It. And I don't, this is, to me, this is the beginnings of the T-800 or Arnold starting to interact a little bit more with John and starting to become a little bit more human. He's not there, but, but that. Yeah. I mean, he's still doing affirmative and stuff like that. Well, like you said, though, he hasn't been switched into like learning mode. Right. In the theatrical cut, that's not a thing. He just learns to, as he goes naturally. Yeah. yeah. And uh, in, in a way, I prefer that, actually, that yeah. he learns naturally. I do, too. Um, but, yes, yeah, so you, he says, you know, pull over. I got to at least call him. And 
I, I don't know why, but I've, I've always liked when he doesn't have the quarter. <laughs> and the yeah. tea just punches the bottom of the thing and quarters just spill out. Yeah, that is a great moment. Uh, and so this is where they call Todd and Janelle, and, and Janelle is being far too nice on the phone. Well, I like it. She's there chopping vegetables, and then we learn in a minute it's the T-1000. Yeah. I, I mean, we went, how long has the T-1000 been blended in? Like, yeah. would the T-1000 have actually cooked dinner if yeah. John hadn't that, called? That, that's a good... And it's beef stew, too. So how how did the, the T-1000 determine that beef stew was the thing to make? Because that, that's actually not something easy to make, right? I can understand... Um, you know, uh, heating up a pizza or something like that. He, right. It's being very, very intricate that it's making beef stew. It's got a thousand like recipes and it's yes. in its memory bank. Somewhere. It has detailed files. Detailed files and beef stew. Yes. Uh, yeah. I just wondered how long it would have blended in. Like, would the T one thousand have stayed there for days and just it's pretended good, to be Janelle? The yeah, whole time? it's a good question. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So, she's too nice, you're right. So. so she's too nice, and that's when the uh, the T-800 steps in and asks the dog's name. It is not Woofy. Uh, Woofy or Wolfie? I always thought Wolfie. It was Wolfie. 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 Uh, what's the actual dog's name? Max. Max. Yeah, okay. And yeah. that's the uh, the dead giveaway. And, and Todd is... Uh, dead giveaway, good one. That was a good pun. Thank you. I don't think this movie has any puns, so... Nope, so I'll, I'll work some <laughs> in. And I, I've, I've always felt bad that Todd's last meal was Lady Lee Milk. <laughs> was that a real milk? Yeah, it was. I think it was a, a generic brand milk, but in Eagle Food Stores, at least here in Illinois. Wow. It's bad that I know these things, but I'm pretty... So maybe maybe it was a brand, and I just don't remember, but I thought it was, you know, like a store brand. Okay. Because, like, Jewel back in the day was Fieldcrest milk. I thought Lady Lee was a generic milk. Maybe was, it wasn't. Was but, it not a good milk? Why are you saying no, it's it was too fine. bad? It was just fine, but just that's that's what he gets. If I'm right, it's just generic milk is what his last meal is. Okay, the way you said it was too bad. Like, well, because oh, you think about it. Milk. He's looking forward to this beef stew that Janelle's making. <laughs> he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who looks forward to anything. Seems like kind of a grumpy guy. So. You're right. He is He is pretty surly. Um, but, yeah, he gets it through the through the brain, through the milk carton, through the head. Yep. And then, of course, Janelle was killed off screen somewhere, so I'm, I counted that also. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. So, human casualties nine point zero. <laughs> and uh, this is also where John learns that um, why the T one thousand can't just turn into a bomb. And this is exposition. I actually think that it's important, and I like that they explain. Yeah. What myself as a skeptical audience member, I would ask the same thing. That's what all the ten year olds in the, yes. in the audience are asking yeah. too. And how I, can he just turn himself into a bob or something and blow it, me up? Like I like I like how John is like asking he, as if uh, in the way a kid would ask. Yeah, right? he asked that way. He asked what he can turn into a pack of cigarettes. That's not the way it works. It has to be of equal size. <laughs> yeah, and I like I like Arnold's the way he destri- describes it and explains it and the deliberately. Yeah. No. Machine uh, is complex. Uh, is it what is it? Guns have moving parts and uh, explosives, chemicals. Chemicals. Sort of, that's yeah. what it is. He, you know, he's turned into knives and stabbing weapons. All the rules are really well thought out, except the one rule I'm not sure they needed is the one where it has to touch you to become you. That seems strange to me. Like I, I think it, it just like, look. Yeah, you know, if it sees you, couldn't it just map your face? Like. Terminators clearly have this ability. Like when the T-800 saw John, he like mapped his face. Like, yes, confirm that's John Connor. Yeah. Well, I, that's I don't fair. Know. It seems strange that this, this rule exists. Like, it, just, I, it just seems unnecessary. I, I can see that. I think it just, it wants the, the ability that it, to keep the 
T1000 at a distance that it can't just see pictures of somebody and be able to then replicate it is maybe the reason why that it wants to have it in close proximity. Yeah, maybe just to give it an extra limitation. Yeah. Because it's like the T800 has always been able to imitate people's voices even yeah. in the first movie but he didn't need to touch you. Yeah, we need. We tried voice, to right? figure out how long I mean, of a voice sample it needed to be able to, to mimic it. Yeah. It, I mean, presumably it just needs to hear your voice to, to it, imitate it. it. It seems like it because it doesn't have a ton of dialogue from John and is able to do so and even more so in the first movie with... Uh, Sarah Connor's mom, it right. It's there, and we we imagined it's off screen, but it couldn't have had that much dialogue before it killed Sarah Connor's mom. Yeah, I mean, in the end, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, um, yeah. So the extended cut, uh, just at a brief moment where the T one thousand kills the dog, kills the dog, which that's another good cut. I mean, I think it was unnecessarily cruel. So that I mean, it establishes that the dog's name is Max, and the T one thousand figures out how. Yeah, um, he realizes why mistake. they hung up the phone, right? Yeah. He made a mistake, but I think it would have figured it out anyway. You don't need to see that. Once it hangs up the phone, it doesn't matter how it was figured out. Yeah, because when's the next time the T one thousand reacquires them? Oh, it's at the it's at the asylum or whatever. Yeah, because he basically gets it on the the he he's running through the progression just like the T eight hundred does, which is right. Sarah Connor is my next best. Opportunity. So I guess the scene's there just to explain why the T-1000 doesn't just hang out waiting for John to come home. Like, yeah. oh, he knows John's not coming, so that's yeah. why he goes to the next thing. But, but I, yeah, I, I agree. Think, it's not necessary. Yeah, I think the theatrical cut that they hang up the phone, that especially so abruptly, right. that he should have figured out, no, I've, I've, I've been figured out. Yeah. All right, so... Cops are questioning Sarah. Back, yes. Back to the mental... mental and so here's some housekeeping that I have... Um, the it's 17 police officers yes from the first we had 14 is what we had i thought as, we had 13 i wrote down 13 you no know, I, I i i listened to the episode and i wrote down 14 so i i think we had 14 okay well still we were short yes there are a couple moments in that it's sequence. hard it's hard to tell he's shooting into a doorway yeah. and you can't tell what's going on in that doorway yeah. but it, that's pretty close we weren't over that's no. that's the good thing like yeah. it, it still fits uh, i do like that they have these photos which presumably are like security footage or something of of the first Terminator. Yeah. I, I wonder if these were recreated. Like, do you think they dressed up Arnold when they were shooting Terminator 2? They dressed up Arnold in his Terminator 1 getup and took those photos? Or do you think those were like left over from the I, first I, movie? I took it. They, they were left over from the first movie. Not that they were, you know, um, promotional stills or something, but production stills. That's, yeah. what, I, that's what I took them as. Either way, I mean, it's a great. If, if they did, if it was recreated, them, it was phenomenal. It, yeah, it's an incredible match. That's yeah. why, like, it's not, I'm not sure. We're, if, if they did have photos left over, it's a good thing they took those because they came in handy. They're very handy. The only thing I had is these police officers, it seems very fast that they know Todd and Janelle are dead because the T-1000 isn't even there. And how do they already know that Todd and Janelle are dead? Yeah, that's a good question. I never thought about that. Because they're there before the T-800, they're before the T-1000, and that just happened, and somehow they're already... Yeah, that's a good question. So... the. the Again, these are the few things that I was a little disappointed going through that it's not completely airtight. There's some things on the timeline of when night and day change, and then this really is one where I just don't know how they would have that information this quickly. Yeah, cause especially because this is before, now that I'm looking at the timeline of my notes, like this is before John uh, convinces the T-800 to help him break out Sarah. Yep. Like, it's not even the kind of thing where, oh, this is a couple days later. No. Like, this is clearly the same night. Right? Like Absolutely. It can't, it can't possibly be a, a, another day no. later. No, because in the next scene is where he helps, he convinces her to go help him. Because this is where the two jocks, yeah. who I feel bad because we, I, I didn't talk about it, but 
before they get the quarter, you see those guys pull in and they give them, they give each other like a high five oh, really? across the top of the car. And then I, what I understand is it looks like they're only going into a liquor store. It makes sense if it was like a strip club or something, but literally, I think they go into a liquor store. I'm like, why are they giving each other like a high five? It makes no sense. They're just very excitable. Yes. You know, they're, they're, yeah. So, but the, no, the timeline is absolutely it's the same night because yeah. the very next scene is when he, can, he tells the T-800 that, no, we need to go help her and figures out that he can control, that he's been programmed, that the T-800 has to listen to him. Yeah. Uh, that's a good point about the how a lot of the cops know. I, I was gonna say maybe, maybe like John and the T eight hundred called in the, the murder or something. Maybe they informed the cops, but even that doesn't I, seem like there's any time for that to have happened. No, so that that is pretty loose. But so um, you know, John John eventually figures it out. But the the poor two jocks you know come over and are gonna help him, and uh, it does not go well for those two guys. Yeah, this is a funny scene in general, and yeah. it's, it's it's interesting how it's kind of comical, and then it takes a turn where he almost kills the guy, and yeah. it's like, whoa, you know, like, yeah. he's still a Terminator. Yeah, and of course I'm a Terminator. <laughs> right. But the whole thing of just like you know he's standing on one foot and he does it. It's just yeah. or like you know, put you, and I, to give him credit, there's not a lot of great acting. I don't think by Ed Furlong, and I know you don't want to rip on child actors. But I do think well, most of his stuff the, is pretty good. I do like put your put your leg down. <laughs> I don't have a problem ripping on child actors if it's like deserved, yeah. you know. But okay. I, I actually don't think he's as bad as people make him out to be. I don't think he's good either. No. Well, the one thing I think it's it's evident in this scene. I think he and Arnold have a good amount of chemistry. Like they're good. Yeah. They work well together. And I think that's when Ed Furlong is is passable is when he and the Terminator are interacting. I do. Yeah. That relationship I do buy. I, it's the stuff with him and Linda Hamilton, I think is where the weakest stuff is. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. It, I, it, like emotional stuff is not something Edward Furlong was prepared to deliver. So I don't think so. You know, but, uh, and then the other moment I liked in the scene where he's like, you, you know, the Terminator grabs him, like trying to like not, I forget why. And then, uh, he's like, let me go, let me go. This does not help our mission. Yeah. <laughs> that line always stands out. To yeah, me. because he's yelling for, get this psycho off of me. That's and right. that's what, this does not help our mission. Yeah, but then uh, this is where he orders a T-800. First of all, he, he tells him that you can't kill anybody. Yep. That's why he says, why? Why? <laughs> yeah, and this is the beginning of, and you have that in the greatest action story ever told. Why? <laughs> why? Why? And he just keeps asking it. Is it stuff, I, I, I haven't seen the sketch, but it's like, you must love your neighbor as, your, as thyself. Why? Is it, it stuff like that? It's along those lines, but <laughs> okay. it, it's trying to explain to the Terminator basically why he, Jesus has to die for the sins of man. Gotcha. And he just keeps asking him why. And Jesus just gets more and more exacerbated that the machine cannot figure this out. Yeah, that is good. Uh, yeah, so then T one thousand gets there first, but he just rolls. He just waves. The guy just waves him in, assuming he's with the cops who are questioning yes. Sarah. To cut to Sarah, like he's, this is where she escapes from her. Yeah, he right. licks her face. Yeah, and, this is where you get to lick the face, and that she, as we we didn't cover, but she gets that paper clip from the police showing the pictures of the the T eight hundred from the nineteen eighties. Yeah, and this is where she uses the paper clip trick, if you will. She gets her restraints undone and then is working on the door as then then the T T one thousand is starting to make his way further inside. Yeah. Well the T one thousand talks to the the like the whoever's working at the desk. And I I recognize her voice. I don't know if you did any research oh, into that. I actress. didn't need to. I know exactly what I know her yeah, from. Yeah, I, I figured you would recognize LA her. LA Confidential. Yeah, yep. just, so she's the woman in LA Confidential who's like there's I don't know, a, a animal must have died down there. She's got a very distinctive voice, this this actress. Uh, absolutely. I mean, that, that distinct, I didn't, 
I forgot about her in T2 when I saw LA Confidential, but then when I went back and saw T2 later after LA Confidential, I'm like, oh, she's that weird old lady yeah. next door to uh, Buzz Meeks, yeah, who's right. uh, rotting down in the basement. She's weirdly comical in that movie, even though like she's playing like it's a kind of a grim situation that she's yes. she's in. But like, I, I I love her in LA Confidential. Here she's just kind of playing. You know, she doesn't have much to do. No, here. doesn't have much to do. But the the T one thousand changes into the floor when the rest of the police are making their way out and uh, disguises himself very very uh, very well. Yeah, I mean, this is a moment that I th- I think wowed people. Like special effects. Yeah. Of the T-1000 morphing out of the floor into yep. the guy. Now it just seems like, it doesn't seem impressive. I mean, it works for the scene. It's like, yeah, he disguises himself as the floor. Yeah. Although I don't know if that really jives with what the T-800 said about, like, he can't disguise. I guess he just flattened himself out. He, so yeah, much. to me, I took it that it's fair because it flattened itself out, but it's the same size, just the size of the T-1000 of the floor, not the entire floor the surface same area. Same volume, right. but spread So out. I thought that that was fair. And yes, I do remember this being the one where... People were really wowed by this. Yeah. And, you know, it, but it holds up, but it's not something you, you know, a modern audience wouldn't look at this and go like, that's an amazing effect. Like, it's just like, it's just another effect. No. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing where I think it would be unfair to judge this sure. by today's standards. But if you put yourself back in 1991, that. But it's just one of those things from a modern perspective. It's not really clear why this one is more impressive than the others. But for some reason, like, this is the one that everyone yeah. just everyone went crazy about this this shot. And then a very low-tech resolution of Lewis <laughs> seeing Lewis, you just cast twins. Yeah. Uh, they're not the only twins. Uh, no. Nope. Uh, uh, Linda, Linda Hamilton. Hamilton. Yep. I think in the scene we were talking about earlier where uh, Kyle Reese was a dream I think that it's her twin sister in that scene because she doesn't look as like tough, yeah, yeah. and like jacked. Like she's so yeah. She, Linda Hamilton is in she, yeah, buff she, shape and like like not. I wouldn't say gaunt, but like she's like got no body fat on her at all. Right. Like whereas I think her sister is probably just in a normal shape. So I think I think they use her in that scene to show like she's more like the old Sarah, and I like and they use her a couple of times. Yeah, and, and I had read that it was a little bit unfair because. Linda Hamilton went on an extreme, extreme regimen diet as well as exercise to yeah, get I mean, prepared. You can see it. And effectively, her sister just had to <clears throat> work out a little a little bit. That literally is all she had to do to get close. Yeah, I and mean, she had to be plausible as her double in the mirrors scenes yeah. and scenes where the T-1000 is disguised as Sarah. Right. Um, but yeah, this this guard, the, the guard with his twin. Yeah. Oh, no, the guard with his twin, Lewis, yeah. Yeah, doesn't make it. Nope. Gets the... Uh, the to the Three Stooges I poke. The uh, Three Stooges I poke, which still, I mean, I remember it from 1991. It's still, for some reason, just the, the sound effects, it's still painful to me. Yeah, some of these, uh, I mean, this is an R-rated movie. There's no question. Some of these some of these are pretty gruesome. Uh, it's, it's funny to think about, like, when we, we were, well, 12 when this movie came out. And yeah. it, it, from our point of view, it seemed like a movie for, like, kids our age but it's like this is an r-rated movie like, yeah. it's amazing like everybody in our age group everybody saw this movie yeah like everybody so it's crazy how did we all get in the theater how did that even happen we all found a way it made it <laughs> was so. grossed over 500 million dollars so there had to be a lot of underage kids seeing this movie i guess so i will say i think this actor doesn't do a great job matching the t-1000 like mannerisms and things jeanette goldstein who plays his stepmother who's also uh, Vasquez from Aliens. Yes. She does a great job. She seems like she's behaving like the Terminator. Yep. This, this guy, eh, you know, he's not... I, it's brief. But. I, I agree with you. He doesn't have a lot, but he is not nearly the same. He does not feel like Robert Patrick. No, he's not moving like that Terminator way we were talking about. No. But whatever. It's, it's a short shot. 
And yeah. so now you get Dougie, who's going, uh, checking on the, uh, making his rounds, notices the janitor's closet uh, is open, and Sarah gets her revenge for the face lick. Yeah, absolutely. That's pretty brutal, too. Like she, she oh, cracks yeah. him across the face. She, and and I, I don't, I don't know if that was real or not, but it certainly seemed real. Like she actually hit that actor. I think I saw that she actually hit him. Really? Yeah. Like, wow. I, I forget where I read that. It, it certainly feels like, and it's pretty rough. So yeah. she, she drags him into her room, locks it, and uh, is going to make her way through the halls. And the T one thousand is also stalking the halls at the same time. Yeah, that's where we get the needle full of, uh, yes. of uh, drain cleaner. And I do like Doctor Sims. What are you going to do with that? <laughs> yeah. He's so good. I also like when she hits him in the face, or she hits him with something, and his his like, pain acting is so good. He's just like, ah, ah, ah. It's really you funny. Broke my arm. <laughs> and then that's what are you gonna do with that? Uh, yeah, it was a T eight hundred and John are arriving, and so he, he makes him do it. Uh, yes, I swear I will not kill anyone. <laughs> he makes him raise his hand like he's on the court or yes. in the courtroom. And so this is another one. I love this sequence, and if I had to pick probably anything from this movie, it is this. From after he makes him put his hands up to when he walks over, visiting hours are from 10 to Monday through Friday. 10. And the guy sees him pulling the gun. Oh, you <laughs> shot me, you <laughs> I love the security guard up front. It's really funny. Like, that's one of those moments that's... And it, sh- it shouldn't be funny. I mean, look, he has just shot a guy. It should not be funny, but I'm sorry. Oh, it is funny. It's, it's obviously intentionally played for laughs. Yep. He'll live. You know, like, that's oh, a punchline. That's, yes. that's the punchline to this scene. Yes. But it's one of those He'll things... live. I can't, I can't remember. I've seen this movie so many times that it's hard to remember what it must have been like to see that... The, for the first time of the surprise of just like, oh, he's promised not to kill anybody. Whoa, geez, he's still... <laughs> he's you know? just, he, I mean, he doesn't even... Nope, I'm just going to shoot this guy. You can't take the Terminator out of the Terminator. No, it? and what's funny, too, is when you think about it, because the first opening bar fight scene, right? I mean, he, he breaks the guy's arm and basically incapacitates him. He could have done any of that, and I mean, it doesn't set up the joke, but it is great that you can't take the Terminator. He immediately, I need to resolve this quickly. I'm just going to shoot this guy in the legs. Yeah. You son of a bitch. You shot me. I well, love that guy. To be fair to the T-800, that guy did have a, nobody in the bar had a gun. So he could. He immediately, to, you're right. They didn't. They had knives. You're right. The guy had a shotgun eventually. Yeah. But he, he could incapacitate them without having to raise the stakes. Whereas like, he couldn't just like punch the guy. The guy had a gun. He had to. It is know, he had to fight fire with fire. But uh, you, you did take it to. Uh, he'll live. It's got to be. One of his, his best it's and one really of my good. favorites, yes. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, and so then we cut back to Sarah trying to make her escape. Um, and, yeah. and she goes for the elevators, which this building is like, what, three stories max? Yeah. I, there's a couple of moments in this movie because it happens at Cyberdyne also. She's like, take the stairs. Yeah. You don't wait for an elevator. See, I just didn't know if maybe the stairs were also secure and that trying to find the right key. I oh, didn't know. Oh, it could know. be because, yeah, she snapped off the key, so maybe she didn't have the key to the right. stairs. I guess that's Did true. you happen to notice, so the one... The one guard um, who gets the drop on her, to me, he was a real preppy. He kind of reminded me of Ryan Gosling. I don't know if he... he yeah, I can see that. that that's what I, so I have every time... Because he's the guy who gets thrown through the, the window. The guy who recklessly pulls the needle out of Silberman's neck. It's yes. like, boy, that's a big risk. Yes. That, uh, I, I, I have it on your preppy Ryan Gosling. And then there were two other guys. Um, and then the one female who... With or, the cast on her arm. With the cast on her arm, which was only there, I think, to break the, the Terminator's sunglasses. <laughs> That's a funny moment, though. Just like he's, the Terminator gets real mad. And he can, you don't break my... I'm the Terminator. Don't break my sunglasses. Right. So it's, just to, to, I guess, recap, she makes the break through the elevators, sees the T-800, and just takes off running, understandably. It would have been the right bookend to that dream scene that had the same... Her running, but it got cut. Well, it's also it goes into slow motion. It's a really great moment. Yeah. Again, Jim Cameron's such a great director. Like 
it really is terrifying. Even though you know that she's the T eight hundred is friendly, you still it still is terrifying. Yeah. Like he still manages to make that moment work where she sees he, the Terminator. Yeah, he turns the out. corner and the angle that they have looking up at him. And I yeah, mean, he's already a big guy to begin with, but that angle and then the music, all of it, it's really ominous. It shouldn't work because we know that there's no danger from him, but it still works. Like it's yeah. still really a scary moment. Man, but it's good too because then and that's when they have John, you know, run in and kind of scream, you know, "Mom, no!" to bring the audience back. That no, this isn't. The you know this isn't the Terminator. This is Terminator Two. Right. Yeah. And the Terminator incapacitates those. We kind of already covered that. And yeah. then He says he gives the line, "Come with me if you want to live." Yeah. And so here's my question: to You, I mean, wh- which is better to you, Kyle Reese or this? I mean, I know this doesn't exist without the first movie. It doesn't exist without the first movie, but I do think this 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 one works better yeah. because I think the implication being. John programmed it to say that because it knew that it would jog her memory. It, it would give it be an indication to Sarah. Here's a thing that only John knows about. Right. You know, this, this one very specific line, it shows that this Terminator is a friend. And also it's what we were saying about this movie manages to work in the references of the first movie in a natural way. Like it works. Like yeah. you completely understand why he, he's saying this. He's pro I'm sure he's programmed to say as soon as he sees Sarah, come with me if you want to live. Yeah. So and, that she would feel, know he's friendly. It feels like an organic connection that it's not just completely forced, that there would be a reason for it to be in there. Yeah, and it's more of a moment in this movie. I think the first movie didn't realize that was going to be a noteworthy yeah. line. It's just kind of tossed off. Like, Come and you want to live. It's just, they're, they're trying to get away, and he just you know, says it. You know, It's not built up as a moment. We're here, just like a shot. It's a great shot of yeah. him reaching out. And Yeah, I think this, this one works better. Yeah. And so the, the T-1000 has finally made its way through and literally goes through the bars, which now Dr. Silverman, he can't possibly deny <clears throat> no. all of the evidence. He's, there's just no way. He's seen the pictures that the police had of the T-800 from 1984. Yeah. He's now literally seen him incapacitate four guards, and eventually we'll see him take a bunch of bullets and something just pass through the bars. I do like, the movie does a good job here where it, the gun won't pass through the bars and yep. it makes it clear that this gun is not part of him. It's yes. like reinforced that he can't turn himself into a gun, but he can nope. pick up a gun. So it, it, you can, like the, the movie delineates where yeah. he stops and where the gun starts. Like, yeah. that's, that's smart of them to do that. Yeah, and Silverman, hung, hung, he hugs the wall. He's smarter than Pepsi guy from yes. the, the mall. He does not get in, he's not going to get in between Terminators, which is not a place you want to yeah, be. Yeah, he lives to see another day as the Terminator. The T-1000 chases them out back into the elevator. Yeah, so you get the, uh, you know, again, Robert Patrick running and, and firing away, but uh, uh, not getting the damage that, uh, that he needs to. Jumps on top of the elevator as the elevator's going down. Yeah, the whole logic of this is really good, like, you know, we understand what the T-1000's powers are, and so he uses them in a logical way. Like he tries to pry the doors open, yeah. and you know, he's stabbing down into it. Like you know, uh, James Cameron did a really good job thinking through. Okay, here's what the T-1000 can do, and then here's what in each situation he does the thing that you would. You know, there, there are very few moments where you'd be like, "Why doesn't he just do this?" Like, no, he does it. Like the, you know, he it just, tries, and only because it's the villain, it doesn't succeed. Right, it doesn't succeed, but it's doing the things that yeah, the, a liquid metal machine would right. do. And so this is the one in particular where Robert Patrick is chasing after the police car. Number, with, th- number three. Uh, the, <laughs> number three of law enforcement vehicles. <laughs> yep. uh, and that, that cop, too, uh, just the look on his face, that guy, lo- that was perfect casting. He looked like a cop that was in over his head to begin with. Yeah. Uh, he just looked young, and I, I think he gets thrown into a wall, too. I, I didn't um, count him as a body count. Oh, but, does he? I, I missed yeah, that. Yeah, so the T-800 just picks him up and, like, you know, huh. kind of shoves him into well, like a caisson, and um, anyway, 
So they're, they're, when they're driving backward, this is, you know, when I think you really see the T-1000 T really, like, flat out running. And I can't imagine how many times Robert Patrick probably had to do that. But it, it feels like he's running really, really fast. But it, it also feels like, as you said, liquid, a liquid metal machine the way he runs. Like, he runs in a way that it seems kind of strange. You get, like, that straight... It's like a, I don't know if it's, like, a sprinter's thing yeah. or... It, it, but it feels like... It feels mechanical in the right way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, not, it's not robotic. It's mechanical, but not robotic. It's like, you know, runners or sprinters run in a certain way because that's the most efficient way to run. Right. And so the T-1000 knows this, and he's just going to run in that way. Trying to do the same like, thing. It, yeah, it, it makes sense. So it, it takes intermittent damage, uh, and eventually it gets uses the, the hooks or whatever it turns into to hang on to the back of the car, which, again, that makes complete and total logical sense. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, then, this movie does it, it, it does everything you would could think to do with a liquid metal. Yeah, Terminator. it breaks the back windshield and does the same thing because the Terminator in the original Terminator does the same thing trying to get at Sarah. Yeah. So another great connection that is, to me, organic. And yeah, up to this point, the movie is kind of copying the first movie beat for beat in a lot of ways. Like this is this is them escaping from tech noir. Only in this case, it's not tech noir. It's it's you know a, a mental institution, but still. Come with me if you want to live, and then right into yep. a scene where the Terminator is on top of their car, yep. you know, trying to break into their window. So, you know, pretty soon is where it's going to diverge. But up to this point, it's been sticking pretty close to the formula. Pretty close. So they eventually, uh, with a with a couple of shotgun blasts, get it off. And I, I do like the moment where you've got the the one part that's still hanging on the car, like rattling around. It's really the wind, but it does it does a good job. The first time you're watching it, you don't know if it's somehow alive and can jump and get John. Yeah. And I think Ed Furlong does a good job of acting, of being, you know, timid by it, grabs it and just throws it out. And then I do like that it just turns into his shoe. Yeah, that's, that's a great, he reabsorbs it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so then they, they take off and you get a little bit of exposition in the mountains. To me, what I didn't remember, the background when they're driving in yeah, the mountains, yeah. it's really bad. That's, it's some bad rear projection or, yeah. some, or blue screen or something. I, I Totally did not remember that, but I'm like, ooh, I got to make a note of this because this did not look good. I think it's because they like they start they show the the headlight turning off and they pan up, and I don't think the background pans up with it. It's just a static background or something. Yeah. It's one of those things. Where it, yeah, I agree. It's it's a bad reprojection. I mean, you know, it it is what it is. But I, I know they they turn the lights off once so it can be conspicuous, but also so you can have the the, the Terminator vision a little bit more. Yeah, I see everything. I see everything. Uh, this is a nice moment. I mean, this is just the scene is setting up the. He, the Terminator sees him crying. He's like, "What's wrong with your eyes?" It's it's to set up the ending. Yeah, uh, but I do I do like the reason why he's crying because she she like looks like she's gonna hug him, and he hugs her back, and then he he realizes she's just checking him for wounds. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, oh, she doesn't really care about him. Yeah, and they kind of get in a fight, and you know she's upset that he put his, himself at risk. But you know this this scene is there to set up the ending. Is yeah, you know the Terminator doesn't understand crying, and he will learn over the course of this movie. So the uh, the T one thousand is making his way back and has maybe my favorite of the T one thousand lines when he sees the uh, the <laughs> yeah. chip California Highway Patrol. Let's say that's a nice bike. Yeah, that's I do love the way Robert Patrick delivers that line. Yeah. He's so good at the the kind of like very like low key menace. Yeah, he's, you know? it, it is pretty menacing. Yeah, but it, it to to the person he's speaking it to not if you don't know what he is. 
You don't you don't know that you are in peril at that moment, no, but as the audience member, you absolutely know that guy's not going to survive. It's the friendliness of it that yeah. makes it so frightening. Say, that's a nice bike. So I'm I did not count this cop in the body count. Like you could say, oh, you, he must have killed that cop. But I didn't make that assumption. You don't know what happened. Here's the only reason that I did is that because you then see him take his form. Meaning, you know, with the, the helmet from the California Highway Patrol and that the subject that is cop replicated is typically terminated. That's the reason why I, I took this cop as being gone. Yeah, there are other cops nearby. Like, I, for all we know, he's just like, oh, thanks. Yeah, it is a nice bike. You want to take it for a spin? And he just, just drove off. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we, don't, we don't know what happened. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you to the point where I'm going to say you're wrong. But... I also don't think your scenario of, hey, take my bike for a spin plays out either. Well, he's another cop. I mean, it, it, it's, should, I, should we add one? I didn't no, count I don't. No, it's fine if you don't count it. Okay. Uh, yeah, so then they pull into, like, I guess, an abandoned gas station. Yeah, I'm not sure. It seems like that it's not that abandoned, but. There are, yeah, it's true. There are tools and things. In yeah. There. Like, I guess it's just closed for the night. Maybe there's a time that, when. Uh, that's what I took. It definitely was closed for the night, but yeah. it seems like they're cutting it really close when they leave the next morning. It seems like they should have been out of there a lot sooner than they were if this truly wasn't abandoned. Yeah. But this oh, is... By we, the way, that police bike is number four, I forgot to say. Yeah, I, that's what I was <laughs> keep, really keep thinking you were interjecting. Okay, there you go. definitely I, I, is... I did forget. Stolen. Yeah. Uh, and so this is where they hole up. You've got the deleted scene here. You get a little bit where the... I have detailed files about the human anatomy. The, yeah. the Terminator stitches up Sarah, and then they're... <laughs> They are pulling the bullets out, which I do enjoy the holding up the jacket and seeing all the light come through from the bullet holes. Yeah, that's, that's a great moment. Um, and this is where you then get the deleted scene. It's a really long deleted scene, too, of um, taking out the CPU, yeah. the chip, and then kind of resetting it so that the Terminator could learn. I, I mean, the moment is nice where she's about to smash it. And well, first of all, Edward Furlong almost got his hands legitimately smashed. Oh, I didn't know because, that. Because uh, I know I heard this on the... On the and the commentary. By the way, the new Blu-ray, Terminator Blu-ray, does not have the commentary that was on the DVD. And I, really? I don't know if I still have my DVD, but I was really upset. I was like, wait a minute, where's this commentary? But I, I see, I, I do remember James Cameron saying, like, when Ed Furlong, it was a real, like, hammer. Like, yeah, I that, it was like that a sledge. I believe. Yeah. It's not like a sledge. What is it? The ball peen? Is that yeah, what that is? I think so. And he puts his hands over the chip, and she legitimately comes this close to hitting his hands with that hammer. And it's a wow. real hammer. Watch the scene, and it's like, it's, he's. Edward Furlong almost got his hands completely smashed. Wow. It's so close. Anyway, but uh, I, I like the moment where he's just like, I, I say we don't kill him, and I maybe I'm the, if you say I'm this great leader, maybe you should listen to me. That's kind of nice, but it, it's too long, and this, yeah. it really slows down the movie. And I see, oh, Well, sorry, the one other part moment I do like where he goes, was there a problem when, when they put it back in? When, when they do turn him back on, that is interesting that he either senses or something like he was turned down, powered down for too long. I think there's a little, I didn't actually stop it, but there's a, something in his Terminator vision that says like chronology, like elapsed or something. Yeah. It shows, and he, then, kn he knows how much time has passed. Yeah, so that certainly makes sense. But I see, to me, I like the theatrical version in the world where he's learning from the very beginning. I, I actually prefer that. Yeah, I do too. So I, but, and like you said before, admit, he, there was that scene where he, he says, I would. Like, it seems like he's already becoming more human already. Exactly. So the idea that you have to flip a switch for him to become more, act more human. Yeah. No. It, it doesn't need it. But uh, so you, you've got that the, as noted, the, the T-800 stays up all night. And it's uh, very efficient in terms of you literally just show him standing in the same position and turn yeah. it to daylight. But then the, the Arnold, which is, I'm going to be in a movie, I need to punch punch my way through a car <laughs> yeah. window, we get it here. Well, that's kind of a callback yeah. or, uh, to the first movie where Absolutely. he does that, so it's, a, it's kind of a subtle callback. Yeah. 
Uh, and then so they're going to start heading south. And this is where you really get this. And with the deleted scene, it makes more sense. But this is where you really start up the, the learning of chill out, right. dickwad. You don't say affirmative. Yeah, yeah it's a good scene. I mean, it's, it's no problemo. This is what's fun about this movie. I mean, it's it's like you know my first Terminator or something. Yes, or like you know what I mean. There like, is an alternate ver- you know version of this where it's like a buddy comedy. Yeah, and that it isn't as action packed. But the Terminator, you know, it's like Small Wonder, but a better version of Small Wonder. <laughs> yeah, imagine if Small Wonder was like a reprogrammed killing machine. Yeah. Yeah, that's basically what this is. Um, and he does, it sets up Hostel of Vista, you know. Yeah. So, which seems it's a little. I mean, it's. It, I like it later when it happens, but it does seem a little manufactured. I, it could have been anything. I don't feel it's the same as I'll Be Back, which to me feels very organic, and that it. Yeah. It became something. Hostel of Vista, baby, clearly was manufactured. I mean, it literally could have been anything. He teaches yeah. him to say something cool that he says later, yeah. like it, you know. But it it it's fun, but. It's just a little arbitrary. Yeah, it's arbitrary. I do like it in the scene that it's ultimately used, but I actually prefer in this the the combinations and that what, what he comes up with. Chill out, dickwad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's it's really fun. They say they stop, and this is where this is, you mentioned this, the brief deleted scene. Yeah, this is the deleted scenes. The smiling, unfortunately, gets cut, and then this is also um, mom. Uh, Sarah takes a bunch of money. Yeah. That uh, that John had. What then makes more sense is that in the theatrical, you just get them eating food in the car, which right. makes no sense when I really thought about it after seeing the deleted scenes. But I never noticed it when I watched it before, so it clearly isn't that stark, at least for me. Well, you just assume it cuts over the part where they bought some food. Or yeah. You know, I mean, and I never really thought it was like they, they had money from somewhere. Yeah. But this is where then the T-800 gives the, the history of Miles Dyson creating Skynet yeah. and, and, you know, the becoming self-aware, all of that. It's prompted by them seeing those two kids like playing guns. with guns. Literally with guns that actually sound like guns, too. It seems like a pretty big leap to say, like, he sees those two kids and he's like, we're not going to make it. It's like, two kids playing with guns. I don't know if that equals nuclear annihilation necessarily, but I get where they're coming from. I agree. Um, but then you get another deleted scene, uh, which was Miles banging away on a computer and is showing the outside of his palatial, palatial estate. All of this... I, I don't think was was needed. No, I think it's better to meeting his family when Sarah attacks. I think it probably makes it's yeah. more it's more effective because it's like she sees him as just a guy who's responsible for apoc- the apocalypse. Yeah. She, doesn't, she doesn't see him as a human being, and no. so I don't think the audience should either. Yeah, exactly. We, we should we should come to that revelation at the same time as yeah. her. I, I, I yeah, I, and it, again, it's slowing down the movie, so. Uh, yeah, don't need it. Although I do kind of like the, the, the water park. Like, yeah, water park, whatever it's called. Uh, Raging uh, Rapids, yeah, I think. Yeah, something like that. Oh, I, I did look that up. I, don't, I can't find the note. But uh, the, whatever water park they're referencing is a real water park, and it's the place where they go to in Bill and Ted's uh, Waterloo. Oh. Waterloo was the fake name, but the real place where they filmed it is whatever place they reference. In this, in, that in, is a good catch. I did not know that. So Napoleon would have been having a good time maybe when Miles Dyson was there. Yeah. But yeah, this is where the movie kind of diverts into, you know, up until this point, it's been very similar to the first movie where a Terminator's trying to kill John Connor, someone's trying to protect him. Here's where it kind of starts to veer into saving the future from the apocalypse. Yep. No, and it, I think that's kind of what muddies the water a little bit. I mean, it's it's still fine. Like it's it just changes it changes the Terminator franchise into something a little different. I I I can understand that. I mean, I I don't I don't disagree with you. But I, I still like this stuff because this 
furthers kind of building the connection between the T-800 and John. Yeah. And so I, I think most of this stuff works, but it, you're right. It does divert a little bit. It's like, you know, the Terminator franchise could have just been the same thing over and over. Of just Looping. Like a, a roop, a, yep. Well, just like a, a machine from the future trying to kill somebody and someone else trying to protect them and nothing else. Like each, each movie is that over and over. It actually made me think about it. I had, I had this idea for like an alternate Terminator 2 where it's about... Sarah trying to kill John or Miles Dyson and the machine sending someone back to protect Miles Dyson. You know what I mean? That would be interesting. Like self-preservation. Re- reverse yeah. it. Reverse the whole thing. That but, would be but interesting. But still make it, you know, she's now the Terminator and yeah. she's trying to kill him to prevent the, you know, it's, it's you know, he's the John Connor of the machines, yeah. basically. That's but an interesting take They could have done something like that. But, you know, I... I, I I, I I like that they did something different with it. I'm not trying to be critical of it. It's yeah. just it's just this movie is kind of like a, a foot in each camp. You know, like Terminator Genesis is just full on bonkers. Like they went they splashed full on into the other side of the pool. So yes, at least they committed to that. Reckless abandon on Genesis. Yeah. So the the Connors are on a road trip. They get to Enrique, not Henrique from Commando and John Matrix, but no. Enrique's place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, probably the best thing in this is naming the T eight hundred Uncle Bob. Uncle Bob. Uncle Bob. From this point forward, every time I <laughs> reference him, I reference him as Uncle, Uncle Bob. Bob. Uh, I did like that this also gives you the one uh, strongman sequence where he picks up that giant chain and carries that huge door. Fantastic. I thought you were talking about the part where he picks up the little kid. And, like, well, there's that, yes, and he just looks at him, which is good. But I'm talking about instead of having steel girders and giant logs, Arnold picks up a giant chain and carries a huge door. Yeah. Yeah, so they go down and take stock of weapons. and Yes. Uh, I guess because right now they're just planning to go on the run. We don't. They don't. I mean, later they're going to storm the gates at Cyberdyne, but like they're just going to take this arsenal with them take the into arsenal, Mexico. Keep heading south to basically, I guess, probably get as far away from the blast zone as they could. Oh, you think that's all? They're just trying to survive yep. Judgment Day. Yeah, that's what I took it as. That was the plan was to survive Judgment Day. Okay, so I thought they were like in my mind. I'm just like, if you're trying to lay low to avoid the Terminator. I don't think taking a whole arsenal, like, eventually a cop's going to, like, pull you over in Mexico or something. Like, yeah, you don't no. want to be on the radar at all. It I, seems, uh, I think whatever. that their goal was was to evade the authorities, evade the T-1000, and survive. They're bringing those weapons. In case the T-1000 finds them. Well, but also for to prepare for the post-apocalypse, I guess. That also. too. Right. So after 97, they'll have all that yeah. available. Uh, and so, yeah, this is where you get the divergence of, you know, Sarah starts working, working things through and, and formulating, as you said, her plan. Oh, and the, the high five stuff. I know we got to we're, we're, we're going real long. So let me blast past this stuff. But it's too slow. And the, the Terminator's <laughs> face. Oh, Arnold's so funny in that moment where he, he's making such a crazy face. But yeah, we get the rest of her dream, her apocalypse dream. Finishes that out, which actually the, the technical aspect of that, I, you know, we are running long. But the the creation of that and the explosion for not being CGI but being you know models that it's really really well done. Yeah, I guess they made all those buildings out of like uh, wheat thins and things to make it really? look like it's got like structures in there and like girders, like yeah. to make it look like there's more than just cardboard or whatever. Yeah. Uh, apparently, there's some like U.S. government uh, like official who declared it the most realistic what depiction look- of a nuclear blast huh. in movie history. That's interesting. Is- Interesting and horrifying. Yes, that you would know that, and at least what it looks like. Yeah, it is horrifying. Well, that he would know that, and also that this is what it is. Like yeah. you know, that's that's way worse than just like dying in a, like a bomb or something. Like right. No, it, man, just if that's what a nuclear blast is like. Holy cow! It is terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying. So uh, Sarah takes off on her own. She's going to take matters into her own hands. 
Yeah, there's, and uh, again, like a little change where there's a little bit more of her setting up her attack in the extended cut, but it's yeah. just like a shot of her like putting together the sniper rifle or whatever it is. Or it's not even a sniper rifle, it's just like an assault rifle. An assault rifle with a something. scope and uh, a silencer. Well, eventually a silencer. And then... Uh, yeah, and he's saved by the remote-controlled truck. Yeah, so home. John figures out where Sarah's headed, and the T-800 or Uncle Bob tries to say it is a tactical mistake <laughs> to go after Sarah, but John doesn't care. Yeah. And then, yeah, John... Dyson is saved by saved by a machine. Yeah, I do like when they're driving down there. He's like, you know, this this could change the future. Like the Terminator's even saying, like maybe this will work. You know, yeah. maybe she should kill this guy. Like he's, he's still thinking like a Terminator. He, yeah, he's logicing it out. And no, you can't kill anyone. Yeah, you're saying he's saved by the Terminator, but actually, it's not entirely true because she decides not to kill him. I mean, no, yes, that's saved, right. He's saved by a machine, the remote control. Oh, car. I see. What you're saying. That's the machine that saves. Yeah, yeah the remote right. control car. Yeah, you're right. Um, but yeah, I like that moment where she decides not to. That's that was smart of yeah. them to do that. They, you know, they could have had it so that the Terminator barges in and saves Miles Dyson, stops her. But no, no she stops herself. Sarah stops herself. I do think that's the right decision. I do like the way he just bursts through the door. That the the door frame is no match for the T eight hundred Uncle Bob. <laughs> right. Just it's like opening the door for anybody else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he cuts off his arm. Shows him yeah, so, the mechanical arm. Yeah, this is where he shows him Dyson the mechanical arm to connect the dots uh, on the story. And I, I think John takes his son, Dyson's yeah. son, out of the room so he doesn't see. Danny, the, Danny Dyson. Danny Dyson of the stabbing with the knife and then the peeling off of the skin. Yeah, it was nice of him to take him to the other room. Yeah. I think Danny Dyson is in Genesis, actually. We'll get to, we'll, have to, when we'll we get to that get one, there. we'll have to confirm. Uh, do they know that he has that arm? Do they know that he's going to recognize the mechanical arm, or are they just trying to show, hey, I'm a robot? You know what I mean? I don't, I, I don't know if they know that Dyson is the one that has it, meaning from the original Terminator well, movie. But, but I'm saying I don't think they know that that survived. I think all right. they know at this point is that he invented, he, he was responsible for Cyberdyne. Right. No, I think that in their mind, the reason they're showing it is to show, hey, he's, he's a, a machine. Right. But it just Con- so happens he yes. recognizes the hand. Conveniently for the story and the movie, that yes, they'd also survive, and Dyson is the one who completely recognizes it immediately. Well, yeah. oh, I don't even necessarily mind it as a coincidence. I just wasn't sure if they knew how much they knew. Like, do they know that he has a hand in there? I, wasn't, I, I didn't think so. I never took it as as that. Yeah, Sarah's crying. I definitely have a note here saying Linda Hamilton's so really great in this moment where you know she's just broken down. Like she's in in the last minute of this movie, she's gone from being a cold blooded killer to breaking down crying, and just the range that it takes to play that part. And you know, Linda Hamilton, she's doing a great job. Yeah, she she does fire back about you know. Oh, yeah. creating right. something and having it grow inside you, which was a little over the top. Well, and, but John stops her. And, yeah. Mom, like, even he's acknowledging. Like, exactly. The movie's acknowledging she's going a little far. Uh, but yeah, they have, their plan is to break into Cyberdyne. And break into Cyberdyne. And destroy everything. He, you know, Dyson brings him in and tries to convince an old Carl at the front desk that these are some friends <laughs> yeah. from out of town. But that goes off the rails very quickly. Yeah, I'm not sure if they really thought that that plan would work. <laughs> I, I don't know, but... They didn't stick with the plan very quick or for very long. Well, they leave a bag full of weapons outside the door. That you can almost see around the corner. But, like, what was their plan if he said, like, yeah, go ahead and go on in? What were they going to do? Like, oh, did, so we have to get our bag. Don't look at this bag, please. Pay no attention to the bag. <laughs> yes, they did not. It was not a well-thought-out plan. No, I don't think They're so. Liter- they are making this up as they go. Well, also, there's the other security guy that they somehow missed. Was, yes. You know, so either, first of all, Miles should have known there are typically two security guards that he works here every day. Right. And then... 
the T eight hundred didn't hear that guy. Like whatever he was doing. You would think room. with the t- he sees everything. He apparently does not hear everything. Now, that goes bad real fast because as soon as that guy comes out, Gibbons, yeah, <laughs> you can't leave the desk. <laughs> you can't leave the desk, man. Yeah, they, they maybe get like two minutes before their cover is completely blown. Yes, and, and the silent alarm immediately gets tripped. Yeah. So, but uh, Arnold blows open the door anyway. Yeah, his his key does work, which is another. <laughs> let, let me, me try. try. Uh, See, that's, I love the learning learning Arnold. No, the Terminator is fun in this. I, I, it's, it's that's the fun of this movie is the Terminator becoming like becoming basically like an action hero more or less. Yeah. So the the T one thousand as Uncle Bob calculated shows up at Dyson's house as that was a you know tactical move that the T one thousand would attempt. Yeah. First of all, there's just a burning can. Next to the house, yeah. like no one's minding this burning. He's gonna burn his house down. <laughs> they left the stuff burning and then just left. Yeah, I, to me, to me, I, he Dyson he, was literally burning everything down to the ground. I guess he, maybe he yeah, he's just leaving his whole life behind, including his house. Yeah, no, I, that's what I took. Is it was all of his files and whatever, and he didn't care kind of what happened after that. I guess so. I was like, wait a minute, you're just gonna leave that fire intended, but okay. So the T one thousand shows up. Uh, and he hears uh, he hears the distress call from the sound alarm, and then immediately makes the connection. I need to get over to Cyberdyne. Yeah, and then uh, a lot of police officers are showing up on the scene. Yeah, absolutely. This is this is the moment where they cover a uh, extended cut cut with a, they change a little bit of dialogue because in the extended cut, there's a brief moment where Miles Dyson borrows the axe from Arnold and chops up the prototype or whatever prototype or the, or the, the model the chip. Yeah, is it a model or a prototype? I wasn't entirely sure. Is it, I, I thought it was just a mo- you know like a, a model, not necessarily a prototype. Okay, but he chops it up. In the theatrical cut, they they cut over that, so it's there's some thing, there's some dialogue they use to cover it over. But I, I definitely noticed there was a line of dialogue difference. Okay, so little little changes like that are, are yeah. Oh, that's I remember why I remember because in the in the theatrical cut. The line of dialogue they use to cover it is the line where they say, oh, this is the guy who murdered. They, they acknowledge that it's the guy from the police station right. murders. In the extended cut, it's not that, that line's not there. That's the line they use to cover over the cut. So gotcha. it's, it's interesting how in the theatrical cut, like, it, it raises the stakes where it's like, you know these cops are not going to be messing around. No, at all. If they know there's a cop killer in there. Right. So uh, it's interesting that they, you know, the extended cut, you'd think they would have found a way to work that line in still. Yeah. No, I, I it does raise the stakes. That was that was something I did not have. I did not notice the difference between those. I it was just the full scene. Yeah, I mean, it's a very subtle visual change. Yeah, uh, and so the uh, <laughs> this is where you get where the the t the Uncle Bob is going to take care of the police outside. Yeah, trust me. Like, there's yeah. a lot of fun moments for yeah. Arnold in this movie. No, he's, there are. He's he's given a lot to do. So yeah, he's very careful with that chain gun. Somehow he manages to <sighs> aim that thing so perfectly. Aim it perfectly. And everything about it from when he's walking out and just who doesn't want in their office to just kick a desk through <laughs> yeah. the window. It is great. From beginning to end, the scene is great, including yeah. that helicopter. That's a damn minigun is <laughs> such a great line. He immediately is on that. Co- he is just flying as far away from there oh, as yeah. he can. Some amazing helicopter work in this movie. Yeah. And the, here, but also obviously oh, the later in, in the, the chase, chase scene, it is phenomenal. It's crazy because it's only like five or six years after uh, the Twilight Zone movie. Which is that there was a helicopter tragedy in the Twilight Zone movie. There was oh. a helicopter crash. No, I didn't know that. I, you'd think they would be a lot more careful, but the, whoever is the helicopter pilot in this movie, they, they were not. They, that guy was just a cowboy. Yes. They're really doing this stuff. This helicopter's flying inches from this building. Yeah. You know, they're, they're really doing he's it. He's right. It's a damn minigun, and he is gone. And then just the destruction of those cop cars. I. Yeah. I, I remember it in theaters like it was yesterday, and it, to me, it is still as awesome 
and the adrenaline is just there of just those cars just getting cut literally in half by that thing. Yeah, and then he casually drops it and pulls out the grenade just, launcher. And, <laughs> just, boom. and it clear. Uh, <laughs> oh, one more. Boom. <laughs> I mean, I, I, honestly, in terms of, you know, and this kind of stuff as I've gotten older, it's not as much fun to me. And it's so much with buildings being destroyed and cities from, you know, the Marvel Universe and Batman versus Superman. Yeah. I will take this any day of the week over those. And, and st- seriously, still watching this again for this. Yeah. I was just as pumped up as I remember as a 12-year-old kid or whatever I was in 1991. Well, it, it makes a point to make it so that you don't have to worry about the the, the, the casualties. human casualties, yeah. 0.0. 0.0. Yeah, because uh, that's the problem with Batman vs. Superman and Man of Steel more, more so. But a lot of those, you know, Marvel movies, etc., it's like they're not really, in a lot of cases, they're not acknowledging that innocent lives are at stake. They're just glossing over it. Yeah, Whereas this movie goes the exact opposite. It's not glossing over it. It's making it clear that they're going out of the way to make sure there is as there little as any. possible. Yeah, yeah so... I mean, this, I I went back and I actually watched it twice. So I watched it. Uh, <laughs> just for fun? Yeah, just for fun. So I went back and, and just watched this sequence from the kicking out the the um, the desk out the window. I went back because it was just so much fun. Yeah, that's great. And brought me back. And so uh, he keeps them at bay for a while. That, that clearly is when they determined they needed to bring in SWAT. Well, I was going to say, he, he says, I'll take care of the police. Does he really take care of them? He doesn't really accomplish much. They're still out there. They're still... They're, they, he blows up a few cars and he chases them away he, for a moment. He's done enough damage, though, where you know they are thinking twice about who is going to be going into that building. Just after putting that. a scare into him. Yes. I guess. Well, because he, he's got one critical point. He can't kill anyone. John has made his job far more difficult. Yeah, he has. Because if John had not put that directive, he could have easily taken care of all of those police. Oh, with a minigun? Like, yes. <laughs> literally. The, I mean, the, the, the body count in that first police station would be nothing compared, compared to, to what he would have yes, done with that wipe minigun. Wipe out every cop in L.A. Uh, and so the this is when you then get yeah so SWAT's SWAT. coming in and Hank Hank Schrader poor dear, poor Dean Norris yes. he never gets to show his face in these Arnold Schwarzenegger movies no he does not <laughs> he's in Total Recall with half his face covered and here he's got a mask on he's got a, yes so uh, they SWAT makes their way in and, and poor Miles Dyson is uh, he's the same as the Pepsi guy you do yeah. not want to be in between those with firearms and Uncle Bob this this movie kind of it it tips its hand in terms of something bad's going to happen because it's like, oh, grab the remote controller. The detonator. And brrr, yeah. goes into slow motion. It's like, oh, something's going to happen. I mean, obviously, yeah. we've seen this movie enough times we know what's going to happen, but it's like, I, I think it could have been more of a surprise. I would have yeah. liked if they just burst in and like, oh, geez, you know. It it, it, you're right. It would, the moment, I think, would have been more real and visceral if they just would have burst in and not yeah. had slow it down to kind of cue the audience. Miles, <laughs> Miles is in trouble. Yeah. Who's this guy who plays Miles Dyson? He was in the credits earlier. Joe, I his name. Joe Morton. Joe Morton, yes. Because yeah. um, he was in Batman vs. Superman, coincidentally, yes. very briefly, <laughs> in, a, in a role that's a reference to this movie, a very clear reference. Yes. Uh, I actually watched the director's cut, the extended cut of that recently. I liked it a lot better, actually. Oh. I, I think I'm getting, I may be getting Stockholm Syndrome for that movie. <laughs> so I kind of liked it the second time. I'm embarrassed to say, as much as I hated it the first time. I loathed it. Uh, but uh, he's, he, this moment is really good for him. He's kind of just playing a guy. Like He's not, doesn't have much to do until here, but this this moment really has always made an impression on me as a kid. Like when when Dean Norris comes by, and there's a little bit of gunfight, and Sarah Connor jumps through a window, etc. And yeah, uh, but the moment where the SWAT guys come over and he's holding a weight over the thing, and I don't know how much longer I can hold this, and he's kind of like breathing 
He's doing like a weird breathe. He's like, it's not even heavy. He's just like, hey, hey, hey. Like, like, he can't even work his lungs anymore or like, yeah. something like that. It's always made an impression on me. It's always kind of freaked me out. I Yeah, I've seen that. I had a hard time because kind of managing the Twitter account. I've I've seen some things from some of the Terminator fans, and they they sent one around of uh, lines that you should not see in a sex scene, and so they were using a bunch of lines from this. <laughs> and when you really break it down and think about it, actually a, b- a bunch of Miles Dysons. I don't are know how ab- much longer I can hold this. There's that. I mean, just about every... Yes, there's so many, and the, the panting that comes after it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of lines in this movie. When you really think about it, it actually would re- really be funny, but yeah. that one in particular was one I can't now look at the same way. Yeah, no one even tries to save him either. Like, no, poor, poor Miles. No, Dean Norris. They're like, let's get out of here. Well, and and Sarah too. She just like she just bails. She bails. <laughs> you know, I mean, I guess there's nothing they could have done. He was he was already basically dead. He's been he's been mortally wounded. Yeah, so you know we glossed over. Sarah gets trapped, but the uh, the T Uncle Bob it bursts through the wall. Yeah. Bursts through the wall That's and great. and and gets her out, which is is fantastic. So, yeah, Miles. The life bleeds out of Miles. He's eleven point zero. Yep, and uh, so the T one thousand then shows up as well. Yeah, it's it's this sequence is strange because he's listening over the radio. So like once they're now they're they're in the elevator and they're escaping, and that's the point where the T one thousand goes up to the room that's been just been destroyed. He must. I mean, the he police should know that they're making their way out. Yeah, the police know where they are because the SWAT team is making their way out. You no, know, the, the SWAT team's firing the gas at him at this yeah. point. And so I don't know why the T one thousand's up there, but the chronolo- guess, you're right. The chronology does not make sense. It's so that he can drive that thing out of the window. Yeah, that, and, we we know why. Yeah. <laughs> Which for the payoff, it's worth it. No, it is. I mean, they they couldn't have the T one thousand getting involved with this police fight because he's just going to kill all those police. Right, exactly. So, the he movie does not have the same directives that Uncle Bob has. Yeah, the movie didn't want to show cops getting killed again. I think. I, you know, I. I they clearly had no compunction in the first movie about showing cops being killed, but I think oh. this 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 movie is a different animal. It is it is a different animal. So the you do have the working end, which is fantastic. I think I, I think this almost is as good as the original. I'll be back. Yeah, um, almost. I, I, it, it, it's better, better in the first one. I will never say that it's not. But for for being a sequel, it it's it's pretty good. I mean it. Especially stay here. I'll be back. And again, working it in in a natural way, like right. it doesn't feel shoehorned in. No. They, you know. they have one gas mask, and there's a bunch of SWAT team members with guns. So who are you going to send? Yeah. yeah. And the movie doesn't make too big of a moment out of it. Like no. it's obviously acknowledging the movie. The shot is done in a way that's acknowledging. We guess this is he's saying I'll be back, uh, right. but it's not overdoing it. No, like it's not making it a no big thing. It's 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 perfectly done. Yeah, and he's saying no. You you stay here. I will take care of this. Yeah, and he goes out and kneecaps every guy. In every this. guy takes a couple of gas masks off outside. <laughs> oh, and the best is when he gets out of the SWAT. The yeah, SWAT I mean, hold this. Yeah, hold this. <laughs> Thank you. I absolutely. Yeah, hold this. So good. Um, I mean, wisecracking Terminator is the best. It is. I. I mean, I like to just before that too. The that he he, the one guy, the one SWAT guy is trying to run away after one has taken the gas in the back, <laughs> and the right. one guy's trying to run away. And the T eight hundred. Uncle Bob is thinking, I will yeah. not kill him, but I'm not letting him get away either. <laughs> he just shoots him in the back. Yeah, kind of unnecessary. Exactly. But, you know. the guy was already fleeing, but he says, "No, I'm taking this guy down." Just covering all his bases. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. this is yet another after. Here, hold this. Yep. You get yet another police vehicle stolen. Number You're right. five. Yes, number five. Uh, and so they are. And you know what, though, I do like it because it makes sense. It's going to have all that gear in the back in terms of bulletproof vests. I think it's it's really 
really efficient and, and makes for a gr- improves the chase sequence, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, Having this been, being the vehicle that they've got. There's literally already been four police cruisers in this movie. Right. Like, don't take another police cruiser. We've had enough of those. There's been enough explosions in this movie already. Yeah. Move gas. So, <laughs> SWAT vehicle. <laughs> the, one, the one thing I did miss, there's another thing from the chopper pilot a, a little bit earlier before SWAT is on their way out. It's a damn war zone down, down here. Yeah, I the, love that chopper pilot. Everything chopper about pilot. that guy I like. Yeah, he doesn't have a comment when the T-1000 arrives. No. He'd think he'd be like, that's a damn liquid metal guy. <laughs> yeah. But he, he, he complies. I will give him that. I mean, he jumps out immediately yeah. from that chopper. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I would do the exact same thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's again, again, another nice callback to the first movie. So, yeah. So the, the T-1000 does the motorcycle jump, which is great. Cracks his head through the window, drops down. I have to say this. I mean, the, the connection is great. Get out. Yeah. I need to tell this story. So I know you, you know this or know this person, James LaRocco. Mm-hmm. So there's this, this story from somebody that you and I both mutually know. Are you sure you want to tell this story publicly? Because if it yes. involves James LaRocco, this may be... No, <laughs> okay. I want to tell it. The story could go all sorts of directions. It could go all sorts of directions. I'll try and be brief since we are very long. All right. Um, so me and a uh, mutual friend, Chris Kazarek, were making James LaRocco for lunch when we were in community college. Chris and I are already there. He shows up, and you got to keep in mind, this is, I don't know, 1998 or 99. I can't remember which year. Yeah. So fashion is different in 98 and 99. He shows up in these aviator sunglasses. Keep in mind, aviators were not popular then. I know they are now. They were not popular then for people listening. But okay. specifically mirrored? Or, yes. Or, okay. Mirrored aviator sunglasses. I, he I, shows up. I figured. And, and he thinks that there's nothing wrong with this <laughs> scenario. And yeah, of I, course not. Chris and I, I mean, we, it was, we were so loud we were laughing in this restaurant. We thought they were going to ask us to leave. Yeah. And we just had this exchange where the first thing that Chris said, I mean, it was one of those two where we were laughing so hard we could barely like breathe and get the words out. He likes, you, you look like punch from chips. And LaRocco's saying nothing. He's just absorbing this just jerks laughing at him. Yeah. And all I said, I said, I just said two words. I just said, get out. That's all I said to him because all I could think of was the T-1000 up in this helicopter. And I'm, and sure, I'm sure you meant it too. It's like, get, if you're going to oh, wear those, no, get out. Absolutely. And that's all, <laughs> that's all I had to say. And so to this day, I, I, Chris and I can't watch Terminator 2 without thinking of that. And the fact that he actually... He thought nothing of it. Like, these gas station sunglasses were, mirrored sunglasses were a good idea. Well, the last time we saw him was, what, three months ago or so? And not much has changed. No. So. Are you, were, were, were I there? wasn't there, oh, but you I know there. you That's and Chris right. were there. Oh, sorry about that. I forgot. <laughs> I thought you were there. That's okay. all right. Um, yeah, but anyway. This, 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 did we get into the helicopter? Oh, by the way, this is stolen police vehicle number six. Number this six. the one? This is your favorite? Uh, yes. This <laughs> is by far and away my favorite. Yes. And I, I really do... Um, I noticed it more this time. The reflection of the helicopter pilot yeah. in the T-1000 as it's making its way in, that is actually a really cool effect. Yeah, I don't know how they got that. Are they just film like a separate element and add it to the effect or something? I'm not, and I, I, it has like a funhouse mirror quality where he like looks like his nose is like elongated or yeah. whatever. He looks like a, a crazy... It's, it's like a Snapchat filter or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it, it was the original Snapchat filter. <laughs> really, I like yeah, that. Yeah, he was. 
Uh, and then, so this is, the, so I, my question to you and uh, maybe the audience members as well, does, does the pilot, does, does he survive? I love this pilot, so I really want him to survive this fall. He was only about two stories up. So you're going to uh, give it to he him? He probably broke his legs. legs. Yeah, I think he's okay. I didn't count him. Okay, so da- Danny Madigan would have done the same thing. He, he survives? Yeah, he fell into a tar pit, this guy. That's what happened. <laughs> In the tar pit, he, walked, he cleaned it right off. Yeah, it didn't stick to him. Uh, and so this then we get, to me, this this is maybe one of the best chase sequences of all time. It's really amazing. I mean, I don't know if they closed off this highway or how they got this footage, but I cannot believe the city let them fly a helicopter under Underneath an, under, the bridge. an overpass. Yeah. And, and I, I, don't, I did not remember this, that, that occurring, but watching this, I'm like, that is astonishing that it because ha- that's real that yeah, is not real. a computer doing it's not, that it's not a model it's a real helicopter flying underneath and i don't know how much clearance that thing has but it can't be much like a foot on each side a foot on top foot on bottom if that it's no. like i cannot believe they they did that i bet they didn't even get permission like i can't even be- imagine. better to ask for uh, forgiveness, per- forgiveness yeah. than permission yeah but so uh, in terms of for me and i'm not a i'm not in terms of action movies i'm not a big chase you know kind of fan yeah. So like the the Fast and Furious movie, eh, they don't really do anything for me. But this this entire sequence has to be one of the best of all time. Really? See, I prefer the one the, the earlier one with the the, the dirt really? bike in the in the oh, aqueducts. Wow. See, to me, from, I think it's I think they're both good. I think this is a good chase, but I think the other one is a little better. Oh, for me, because you've got the the chopper that's being used. Uh, I I you know the the fact when uh, the Terminator goes in. And when when the the T one thousand eventually gets the the semi with the the liquid nitrogen, well yeah, and Arnold gets up on there and he's got the machine gun and just labels that's that. pretty great. Oh, it's fantastic! And then he pulls it to jackknife and turn the thing over. I just think it's fantastic. Well, that's the all thing all around. I think the helicopter part of the chase is amazing, and obviously the stunts are amazing. You know, whoever was flying that helicopter, you know, more power to you. But you're a madman. But that part of the chase is over. Pretty quickly, they both crash. That's true, and then it turns into, you know, I mean, it's, there's, it's funny they're in this crappy. This is the vehicle top speed. The praise the Lord bumper sticker. Yeah, what is what is that? A bull L goal gardening. <laughs> I don't know what that guy's business uh, is. Bull L but he is he's pretty he's pretty spry because he gets over that median pretty quickly. Yeah, although the the guy driving the liquid nitrogen does not make it out as, as well. So twelve point zero. Twelve point zero. Um, but yeah, the the. the and I agree. Once he, the more the T eight hundred climbs over the cab and shoots him, like that's cool. But I don't know the 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 chase part of that. The the, the second half of that chase, I don't think is all as interesting as the okay, first. Okay, that's that's fair. Yeah, but yeah, they end up in this uh, like molten like foundry. I don't know what this. Yeah, uh, that's what I took it as. Is it's you know a steel mill foundry, and the um, after the <laughs> Uncle Bob does the uh, does the roll. Jumping uh, off of the uh, liquid nitrogen truck, you then have... Yeah, that's a weird moment. Is that an effect? I couldn't even really I, tell how they did that. I'm not sure what that was. It doesn't hold up perfectly. It just looks strange. It's like, yeah. It's clear what they're going for, but I couldn't tell if it was like a little model Arnold they did. or I don't, I don't I'm know. not sure. But the then you have... Th- this probably actually, in some ways, I kind of wish that this... I kind of wish the liquid nitrogen is the way the T-1000 was done in. Yeah. I... I I, I think I like it better. I think they're going for a thing, you know, in, in the first Terminator, how you th- the thing, the truck blows up and you think he's dead and then he emerges as the, yeah. s- the skeleton. The consistency is there. And maybe I just wish, I wish there was a way to have had an explosion, have him survive it. And the liquid nitrogen, it, it, it's, it is really, really fun to watch. Well, especially because uh, Arnold gets his Hostel Vista in. And right. it's like, 
No, you're, you have to be dead. Arnold quip to you. Yes. You're, you're dead. You're, you can't come this back is supposed from a, to be your end game. Yeah, you can't come back from a devastating quip. But nope. I do. I, I just, the entire sequence of, you know, it's slowly like ripping and tearing itself apart. And then as yeah. it's looking like at its arm that's ripped off, I love that kind of pose. I it think is, it's. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. The, the perform. I assume that's uh, Robert Patrick doing all that performance. That, in there. I, I don't think that's CGI, but I, I didn't. I didn't look. I don't know. No, no, no. I don't think any of that. No, freeze the parts where he's freezing. Right. It is weird that T one thousand jumps right down into it. He, if you, if you think about it, he jumps out of the cab right into the liquid nitrogen. He, he does, but I don't. I mean, he just jack, hijacked that truck. I don't think he knows what it was carrying. Just thought it was water. Or something. Yeah, it could have been anything. And again, he's just programmed. I'm. I need to get from A to B, and he was trying to get from A to B. Yeah, maybe. But I agree. Like you'd think, the, he's been the T one thousand is broken in a million pieces. Like if they had any foresight, they would have been like, quick, scoop him up, throw him in the molten throw metal, him in the heat. Yeah. But the problem is, it's too close to the heat, right? Because he immediately yeah, is immediately starting to to melt. Melts. And in terms of this, is another one of those those effects. And then both the sound and visual. I really, really enjoy the sound and visual effects of the T one thousand reassembling here. Yeah, it, it it is cool. I like the little detail where he like. Emerges out of it like almost in a fetal position, like yep. being reborn or whatever. And it, it's moving pretty quickly, though. Yeah, that's the only thing is I the reassembly is almost too fast because they, to me, don't get enough distance between them and him from when he reemerges. It seems like they needed to really start moving faster and get more distance between them. Well, I mean, Uncle Bob does say we don't have much time or whatever. They start, they do start running, but yeah. uh, you know, it, it's. I think I think it's the right speed. You don't want to be too slow because then it's just going to slow down the movie. Uh, yeah, but anyway, T-1000 starts pursuing them again. There's a few moments, this is the extended cut, of him like malfunctioning and stuff. Yeah, so that's the one thing that I kind of wish had stayed in the movie, because I never understood how John for 100% knew which Sarah was which. But in the extended cut, you they establish the malfunctioning, or at least what I interpret as the malfunctioning. Yeah. Um, of, and I'm guessing that it's from the extreme cold to then the extreme heat. I think that that is very plausible that... Not everything in terms of his changing would work right. the way it was originally intended because that machine was not designed to be frozen in liquid nitrogen and then reassembled. So I, be- I believe that. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think. I, I, I'm, I'm glad they cut it. I don't agree. Because you know, I was talking earlier about how I thought it undermined the T-1000 a little bit, how much he gets staggered by being shot. I also don't think it's – I don't think you should be undermining your villain right before – the end, you know what I mean? Like, oh, he's malfunctioning. Like, I get. I guess they did that. This also in the first Terminator, where it's like limping and it's obviously right. like been like torn apart, etc. So I guess I guess that worked in the first movie. I just, you know, I I didn't I didn't miss it. I see what you're saying about how John knew how he didn't know which Sarah. Yeah, I mean, so. I think that's the only that's fair. The only thing that I missed not having it left in the movie was how he could determine which Sarah was which. But in the end, I'm I'm not. I, I don't think it ruins the movie or anything like yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, the bigger issue with this ending sequence, um, I mean, the the ending ending of this movie is amazing, but this kind of, like, cat and mouse through the bowels of this place, it, it does drag a little bit. And I think the biggest problem with the sequence is the moment where the T-1000 stabs Sarah in the shoulder and says, call to John. It's like, what? Why don't you call to John? Like, he does that in a minute anyway. Like, right. Why, is he, why does he need to have her do it? That That is a good observation, I never understood that. I mean, it's always it's been something I've had an issue with forever. It's like I don't why is why does she have to do it? He's touching her right now. Yeah, (laughs) you know what I mean. (laughs) He's got her held in place. He should be able to do it. Yeah. But anyway, otherwise it's pretty. I I mean, the fight between Arnold and the T one thousand 
Yeah, shape shifting and all that. That's that's really cool. Yeah, especially when the T one thousand when he gets thrown into a wall and then they have him, you know, kind of change his front, his back to or his front to back. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and then he eventually uh, gets one too where Uncle Bob punches him, but then he just effectively. Yeah, his face becomes his hands, and yes. his hands become his face, and he like morphs himself around. And then, yeah, twists him around and throws the T-800 back. And that's the stuff that the later Terminator movies, well, not necessarily Salvation, but Terminator 3 and Terminator Genesis don't understand what's cool about the liquid metal. Like, they don't do cool stuff like that. It's just like, it's liquid. It can disguise itself. It's like, no, you need the, you know, you need it getting cut in half and then pulling the pole out of its side. You right. need it, you know, d- turning its arms into wedges and opening an elevator, like, tr- you know, do cool stuff with the liquid part, not just the disguise part. Right, do what the, the T-1000 in Terminator 2 did. Yeah, I mean, that's, I don't think any of the other Follows. Terminator movies understand what's cool with the liquid Terminator. But no. Yeah, this fight is really cool. Yeah. And he smashes the T-800's head in with a girder. Oh, yeah, I got, he gets, not once, not twice, not thrice, four times he crushes that skull. Yeah. Steel girders, they're, uh, what's his name in, uh, in, uh, Ben Richards. Yeah, it was Ben Richards' best friend, but yes. the T-800's enemy. I mean, the T-1000 just smashing him and then stabs him, but uh, you, can't, you can't leave a good Uncle Bob down. Nope, he redirects power. Or redirects power and comes to uh, eventually save the day. Yeah, he's, I wish, I think this movie, he should have been out longer. Like, he's, he's knocked, he's basically quote-unquote killed, and then there's like one, like 30 seconds later, they cut right back to him and he's... He, I, it would have been nice if he was like out of, out of commission for a little while and was like, oh, man, they're in trouble. The T-800 is like, dead. I, yeah, I think the only reason they had it go so quickly is because it had already been... I mean, when you really think from when they steal that SWAT truck to how much screen time has gone by... Yeah, I mean, it, it's a long movie either way. I mean, yeah. even the theater cut should be long. But, you know, I don't know. They could have figured found some way to do it. Again, I did, I'm being more critical than I should be. It's significantly, just, uh, but that's... It's that's, a great movie. That's okay. <laughs> So you uh, you get the you get Uncle Bob making his way back, and he's got one one chamber one bullet left in the chamber, and uh, he puts it to good use. Yep. And it I do comes think up even, that like conveyor belt or whatever. It is. Yeah, it comes up the conveyor belt, and I I do like the reaction from Robert Patrick as he yeah. looks as it goes inside, and yeah. then realizes that he's really in critical trouble. Oh yeah, and then that monstrosity that he gets blown into is yes. pretty it's pretty crazy. That's, yes. a, that's a great effect too. Yeah, so I mean, I say that I I I really do like that liquid nitrogen and it's it, it's not I think that this sequence is a good one. Yeah. It's just that that liquid nitrogen of him falling apart is is so good. Yeah. But this of the the explosion, I the payoff is 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 worth it because the explosion and that mon- as you said that monstrosity it becomes is a really cool effect. Yeah, that's a real thing. I don't know what if it's like a puppet or whatever, but it has like a Robert Patrick head like ha- upside hanging, down, like barely hanging on. Yeah, that's a really good practical effect. Yeah. I mean, the CGI in this movie is great, but like stuff like that, you can't do that in CGI. That's no. just a crazy. I mean, I can't. I would love to have been on set to see that thing for real. That, that's so crazy. Yeah. So. The T-1000 is just barely tipped back from that, and um, that's the end of the T-1000. Yeah. I like how he transforms into every little, every person he's been. Yeah. You see him go through the progression. And it's very, very slow until it just, it just it's melts. almost like a face, and then oh, yeah. melts he, like, away. Vomits himself up or yeah. whatever. It's, out, it's, it's, out, like, it's, 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 it's eerie, but it's kind of cool. No, that's a great effect. And I, the, I need a vacation. I need a vacation. <laughs> He is fully on in terms of uh, an action hero at this point. Yeah, I, I've heard that some people don't like that line, but I love it. It's just—it's. I think it's fun. Yeah, I do. I mean, I can see where people don't like it because that is getting pretty close to the line. 
of being a little bit too far, but I, I enjoy it. I mean, it's, they've gone to great lengths to establish the transformation that is taking place in the Terminator. So by this point, like, I, I feel like they can get away with that. He's already said Hasta la Vista, baby. Like, you can accept that. People, people like that, but they don't like, I, don't need, I need a vacation. It's the I, same thing. I'm not disagreeing with you. I, I think it's a lot of fun. Between he'll live and I need a vacation, <laughs> I mean, those are some great lines. No, I like, I like comic Terminator. And so then uh, we get a little bit more drama here before the end. And I think, I think this is really well written and really well played. No, it, it's, it's great. Yeah. I this, mean, this ending is fantastic. I think this may be the, only, the thing that makes me want to tip this back in the lead with the Terminator. The Terminator doesn't have like, the emotional punch that this ending No, it's, it's kind of an abrupt ending, too. Um, well, it's like, it's so, you're right, it's so perfectly written because I think a, a bad writer-director would have had the Terminator like actually cry or something. Like the line where he says, I know now why you cry, but it's yeah. something I could never do. Perfect. Yep. It's right on, it's right. Conveys the message. Yes. But it doesn't go into schmaltz. Like, you know, like I've learned, a bad director, like, I've learned to cry, you've taught me to cry. Like, no, don't, it, thank God they didn't go no. to any further. Like, did the Terminators learn how to be emotional? Like, right. no, he can't, he could never do, but he understands. That's he all understands, that and he's, He's learned as much as he can learn, but he's also smart enough to realize that this needs to be the end. Yeah, and the self-sacrifice. He's saying, right. there's one more chip. It's great. I mean, it's such a... It's a genuinely effective... Like, it's an emotional ending. Yeah. In, a, in a way that you don't expect in a Terminator movie. No, and I, I mean, I like the logic, too, that they got that he can't self-terminate because the machine is supposed to seek out and complete its mission under any circumstances, so it clearly couldn't kill itself. Right. But it also gives for that long, like, dramatic... I mean, in reality, it doesn't really make sense. They should have just been able to push him in. I know, right? <laughs> that wouldn't have been very dramatic. No. It's, it's like it, pushing someone into the pool. Exactly. So I'm not arguing that that should have been it. But in <laughs> right. reality, that's the more realistic, maybe, approach. But I like the dramatic, the slow, slowly going in, including the... Th- I, I, lo- I really like the thumbs up at the end. Oh, it's great. Yeah. And it's, like, slightly comical, but not... It doesn't undermine the emotion at all. It actually, like, enhances it. It's actually, yeah. like... He's sending the, his last message to John. Yeah. It's like simultaneously kind of funny and goofy. Like he's giving a thumbs up as he dies, but it's like it's his message to John. It's like everything is okay. Everything's okay, right? Exactly. It's great. He's it's so good. So the the father figure that he's become is you know kind of giving his last message as a positive message to John. It is. I, That's, it's amazing. And and movies like the look, it it's hard. Sticking an ending on any movie, to be honest, it's, it's hard sticking a good ending. Yeah. Particularly something like this, where most of what people are going to see this for are the explosions and the action to stick an ending like this is is really difficult to do all right damn it i'm changing my vote (laughs) two and a half hours later way to flip-flop yeah this isn't a flip-flop this is a carefully considered (laughs) senator i've i've reconsidered my position on the matter no this ending you know what this ending is so good it 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 it, it elevates this movie above anything that the terminator does despite i mean look i i was you know, we're really going through all these movies with a fine-tooth comb, and there are plenty of things that, you know, both of us brought up, but I was bringing up more faults than I think you were. But despite all those faults, these, the, the, this ending is so good, and the, the, the moments that are great are so good. Yeah. Like, the highs are so much higher, you know? I don't think about it. The Terminator 2 is a better movie. <laughs> it is, isn't it? I, I have to come to terms with it. I mean, the thing that I will say is that I, I'll stand by that in terms of action movies, absolutely. But I, I do. I just I think Terminator Two is probably the greatest sequel of all time, and 
I don't, I'm not sure I'm, I'm ready yet to give it the greatest action movie of all time, although it might be the greatest action story ever told. <laughs> um, but it's right there. And, you know, that, you know to, to finish it up, that is, an, in some ways, I wish that was the last scene, was, or, you know, the last thing you see. You get this road kind of dark road. I do like it that it's, that it's, not, that it's not set, that it's uncharted territory. Yeah. But in a lot of ways, I just I really like the thumbs up and kind of wish that was the end. Yeah, I don't know if that can be the last shot. They got to do something. Well, do you know about the original ending that uh, James I, Cameron? Yeah, I read something that was like her was it Sarah at the playground? It definitely was not what I would choose. It was an alternate. Basically, that they had successfully changed the future, and it's her in the playground, and it explains her voiceover because she's recording into a cassette. Oh, okay. Dictating here's what the future would have been, and here's what we did to change it. You know, like her memoirs or whatever. And you know it, it ties back into like the playground imagery that this right. movie has a lot of, obviously. Like that, yeah. they, you know, but but I, it, it's part of me is kind of thinks like, oh, they were just cynically changing the ending because they wanted to do more sequels and they didn't want to close the door and say like Judgment Day was averted. But also, I agree. Like it's better to just have it open and say now we don't know what the future holds. Right. It's a much more. It's it's weirdly more hopeful than the the ending, which shows that the future is better. Yeah, because I, it's more about the possibility of the future. It's not about the certainty of, or you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I I think am, ambiguity there is far more realistic. That the, the, how would you know that it would wind up that everything would be okay? That something else, because of what you've done, wouldn't have changed other things. I just I don't think that that's plausible. Right, and it's just too pat. Like the idea of just like everything was great. Yeah, it's like I, no. you know. So yeah. the, the the choice that was made was ultimately for the best. Yeah, it was it was the right choice. Even though I do think it was probably made so that they could do more sequels. Yeah, like no. it, it it could simultaneously be the cynical choice and the correct choice, yeah. and I think that's what it is. It's okay if it, they're they're the same thing. Yeah. So anyway, let's get to our, our statistics here. So human casualties thirteen point zero. Uh, human paranomasia, which is another word for puns. I figured I should do as much robotic. Nice. I don't know that off the top of my head. That was, you had to look that that was up. some research. I didn't find the most robotic, uh, the equivalent of affirmative for puns. But anyway, zero point zero for that. I don't think I. I don't think I missed any this time. No, you did not. We've been real short on puns lately. Yeah, there there are a lot of lines and uh, zingers, but not uh, not puns. Yeah, no puns. Uh, Terminators don't say puns. No, there were no puns in the first Terminator either. So there there were not. Uh, so stolen police vehicles six point zero and total <laughs> stolen vehicles twelve point zero. <laughs> I'm glad you had all those statistics. Yes, yeah, so there you go. Um, yeah, so that's the episode. Yeah, I, uh, we should we should say uh, this was the last episode of the season. So season two is complete. We'll be taking a break. Uh, at at most, it'll be the length of the last break, possibly shorter. What remains to be seen, but I don't think we'll. Last time it was ten weeks. I at most I can't imagine it being longer than that. But uh, we'll. Like last time, we'll have some shorter episodes. And yeah, we got a couple of ideas. Yeah, for sure. So there'll still be episodes every two weeks, but uh, no, we're not going to talk about any, any Arnold movies until we're back for season three. And uh, we'll see which uh, movie we come back for. It we'll, will. It will be your pick. It'll, so yeah, we'll announce it at a later date. Keep, keep listening to the episodes, and uh, you know, uh, we'll decide very I will, soon. I will be interested to hear what uh, what you come up with. I've got a few. I've got some thoughts. I think percolating. Really, yeah. So that's the show. You can follow us on Twitter at Bad Puns Podcast. And uh, you can write us emails at questions at bpamg.com. And please, uh, if you enjoy the show, like us or give us a review on your podcast app of choice. And I have one last item of business, which is the rule in a crisis situation. 
So what I have uh, for the listeners from this movie is that if you're in a crisis situation and you need to extricate yourself from that situation with non-lethal force, shoot somebody in the legs. <laughs> we know that they'll live. It's a very clear lesson this movie is giving. It's just it's, that's the message of this movie. <laughs> not not just once either. They do it. He does it twice. People will survive kneecap. Yes, you can get kneecap shots for sure. So that's what it is. Shoot him in the legs. That's fantastic. That's our rule. All right. So yeah, uh, keep listening, and we'll be back in season three. Yeah.